This week on Invasion, the podcast, has it been three weeks or has it been a day and a half? No one, no one knows anymore. Will our discussion about Darkman fall apart before 99 minutes is up? And I find out which Sam Raimi movie I am. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the of tension. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. And I am just hoping that this show starts off better than it did the last minute and a half that we tried this before. My name is Paul, and somewhere in the distance is Steve. Hello, everyone. So I'm just going to talk real, real fast right now, and hopefully we can get the show recorded in five minutes before the system decides it's going to do its thing again. No, that's not going to happen. But <laughs> it's just it's funny because it's like we're like, yeah, we're going to just pretend like we didn't talk to each other for a minute, and then we're going to start the show over. So it's just like that thing of like I showed up five minutes early to the party, and you're like, oh, I'm not ready yet. I'm like, oh, I'll just come back in five minutes later. I'm like, okay, and then we got to pretend like we just saw each other. Which, to be uh, fair, I think has happened uh, the two parties that you've come to my house for. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gave me a start time, and I just I just show up like 12, 12 hours early, you know. So I'm ready. I'm ready to party. No, uh, we're just always late. <laughs> yeah, I. So uh, this past weekend, and so thank, thanks everybody. I know it's been three weeks. It's been a drought. You've been like, where have, can I go to get? two-hour-long rambling episodes that end in a train wreck of whatever it is that we end up at. We're back. So don't worry. I'm sure the trains are rolling right now, and I have some Dortmunder. I'm sure Steve has a Mai Tai or whatever he's drinking, and we're the, the train will get off the tracks, I promise you. So, like, just... We're back. Uh, but so this past weekend, while I was in the middle of moving things, um, I uh, woke up uh, on Saturday because we had an appointment to pick up a U-Haul truck and our appointment was at noon and I woke up a little early and then I got distracted by video games because that's what I do. But I, but we had been sleeping on these air mattresses in our, our bedroom because we had not gotten our, our mattress from our apartment yet into this house. And so my wife is like, you know, downstairs, you know, getting ready or whatever. And then as I'm getting ready, I'm like, well, I got to clear out the bedroom. So I'm like deflating the mattresses and like moving everything out. And then it's like almost noon. And I, I don't know, Steve, I don't know if you know this about me. I'm like generally like when it comes to like, well, what time does it start? I want to be there early. Like I just, I'm, I'm a stickler for like, well, it starts at this time. we got to be ready at this time. This was like the first time. We were leaving the house past noon with my wife, and she's like, well, I really hope they hold the reservation. I'm like, I think we'll be fine. This is like the one time, like, our, the U-Haul place is like less than like seven minutes away, and I'm like, we're leaving the house at noon. We're going to be there at noon 07. We'll be okay. So I want to be like, this is the one time I want to go to my wife and be like, now you're looking at me about time? Because uh, whenever, like, for her, it's always tack on like 20 minutes, no matter what it is. Just tack on 20 minutes. Yeah, uh, Kathy has a Steve time that she uh, she now uh, will lie to me about when we have to be somewhere just because. Because yeah. to me, time is just a concept. I don't, I mean, unless it's a movie uh, or a special event, 
Like, you know, it, it's like if, if we're going somewhere and it's like, you know, oh, lunch is at one o'clock. Like, you know, there's not a reservation at your parents' house. Like, if we get there at one ten, it's fine. So, <laughs> Oh, gosh, that would drive me nuts. Like, today, yeah, it drives you, her nuts. when you text me like, hey, you want to start at like 630? I was like, that's fine. And I'm looking at my watch. And I, I've talked about previous on previous episodes because, the, like, you know, since we're trying to stay inside in the quarantine, and we'll talk more about that in a minute because I'm sure we have plenty of stories. Um, I've been trying to get like 10,000 steps in a day just to keep, you know, moving and it just helps me. Right. So then I didn't get a lot of it done this morning because of like actual my, you know, the job that pays me, I had to, you know, do that for a bit. Um, so then when you're like, can we start at six 30? I'm like, it's fine. I'm like looking at my, my step counter and look at my watch. I'm like, I'm only like 3000 steps. I was like, I can do this. And like, so I was like trying to like, like measure out my time. Like it was like cutting it, like cutting to the wire to get up here by six 30. But I'm like, I know what time I have to be upstairs. Like it was, yeah. So <laughs> not only did I look like a madman, just like pacing, like just maniacally, you know, but yeah, I just, I just, if someone says something starts at a certain time, that's when it starts. So I just thought it was oddly like funny whenever my wife was anxious about like, I hope they hold the reservation. I'm like, it's a U-Haul truck. I don't think there's someone being like, oh, I see it's a minute overdue. I'll give it to these up and comers. Like it's like far and away. Like it's the Oklahoma land grab. You know, I don't think that's what's going to happen where you got Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman jumping in the truck and driving away, you know, like, um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we've moved, um, the, the bulk of our items that we're keeping are here. Um, like I still have Steve's wonderful drawing he made of Batman for me. That is somewhere in my house still. Um, <laughs> that he wants to replace. So again, new house, he has the opportunity to make a new Batman if he wants, but otherwise I still have it framed. So it's here somewhere. I have a new office that uh, is on the second floor of a house. So if someone wants to come stabbing at this window, then they like, at least at first I should hear a ladder or the sound of a Spider-Man web or a ninja something before that happens. So that's good. Um, and the only noise that seems to keep coming through the windows now is like every neighbor around me is mowing their lawn at the same time. So that's the one thing I worry about is that you're going to hear a lawnmower fire up at any point in time while we're recording. Yeah, uh, that's always it's always shameful, too, because uh, we'll, we'll wait until the very last minute to mow our lawns. It's always like uh, the neighbors mowing their lawn. Oh, no, the other neighbors mowing their lawn. Oh, the people across the street have mowed their lawn. Crap, we need to go mow our lawn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the good news is once I get uh, get some like uh, curtains and stuff in here. Uh, and then like, it will help with the sound a little bit. So this will not be like, you will not, hopefully you guys, you know, the, the staple sound effect on the invasion show, other than Steve and I, you know, drinking and hitting our bottles and things. Uh, it was the sound of like emergency response vehicles, right? Constantly. That shouldn't happen anymore. Um, and, and actually the, the amount of sweat that goes under in the summer should also be reduced because we have central air. So, we're getting, this is an upgrade for us once we're able to be back in person. So that'll be good. Um, so yeah, uh, moving has been fun. Not really having more space has been fun, but now it's like, it's that George Carlin thing of like, now we have more space for shit. What shit are we going to buy to put in the space? That's where we're at now. Like, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, so far so good, but thanks everybody for, I'd say being patient. It's like, you know, either, either you guys are looking forward to this or you're just like, I'll get to what I get to it. I'm thankful I'm back. Um, it's been weird because I've sat in my, my chair during the weeks since we've not been recording and I'll just talk for an hour and a half and no one's listening to me, which is probably what's going on now, but it was weird. Yeah. I just sit there drinking, 
a beer, stare off into space, and look at the wall and be like, do you even know who Sam Raimi is? <laughs> it's like you look at the wall, you're like, you, what are you talking, you don't even know Star Wars. <laughs> like, you, <laughs> you look at it like it's the bowling ball from Mystery Men, you're you know, Eugene Garoppolo, and you're just like, what? Shut up, Dad, or whatever she says to the bowling ball. <laughs> That's that's a movie we'll need to talk about at some point. I think that since we're talking about the Dark Man tonight, um, we'll need to get to Mystery Men at some point too. I think that would be a lot of fun to get to. Um, so quarantine stuff. Um, you have been hold up. You said that you've been really really good about not going out and interacting with public. So thank you for your service. Um, I've been out almost every other day like an idiot, not because I wanted to be, but because of moving things. Like I've just been out in the populace and it's been like terrifying every single time I go out, you know, like you're always is, worried about everything. Is there a video that's going to surface about you yelling at somebody cause you didn't get your cheddar bay biscuits at red lobster. I mean, no, I paid them to delete it, but so that didn't happen. No, um, <laughs> no, it's just like I, um, there's a convenient, uh, store. It's like, you know, a typical like food mart thing, whatever, like nearby mm-hmm. where we live now. Um, that like, so if people aren't aware, Cleveland is this interesting place that like, you're like, you can look in one direction and be like, wow, that, you know, that's not a bad place. And you look the other direction. You're like, don't no, do not go there. That's sketchy as all hell. You know, you're asking for trouble. If you go there, like Steve, once you finally see my house in my street, be like, oh, that's pretty nice. And then you'll go to the end of it and see that convenient. You'd be like, no, why would you go there? And this convenient <laughs> is sketchy. Like there's a sign outside. that says uh fax net or whatever it is. It's like, Oh, I could, I could do faxes here too. That's they're, they're with the times. Um, and I went to go uh, buy beer there. Cause you know, that's a necessity. And I walk in and it was like every person in there just weren't like, Whatever your opinion is of the situation going on, I still don't understand why you want, wouldn't want to defer on the side of maybe don't go walking right by somebody in a tiny convenience store and touch all the food around you as you're walking around without any type of protection. That's, you know, if you're that one, you know, Tommy Toughnuts that wants to go and do that and defy everything, great. But if you see me trying to mind my own business and I have gloves and a mask on, you know, it's fine. Just, you don't, I don't, I, I, I'm not buying little tiny fruit pies, so I'm not worried about it. You know, it's just, but it's just, there were so many people wandering around. Like, I kid you not. I swear it would not surprise me if someone's like, Hey, what's this lick? And just put it back on the shelf. It wouldn't have surprised me what was going on. Like, it was just like spring break in this store and it terrified uh, me. That sucks. And they that also, it's also a place that sells barbecue. So like you go and it's, you just smell like this wonderful smell, but it doesn't, it doesn't jibe with like a mini Mart <laughs> type of thing. It's just, it was just confusing. It's just like, Oh great. You're selling like, you know, this wonderful, like, you know, and everyone's asking for like, and the, and the same people that are ringing you up and the people serving the food. It's like, I, you know, I just realized it's like, yeah, whatever's going to happen to me, I probably deserve it right now, you know, but that's just, it, you know, so if I, if I'm now like, the typhoid Mary of all this. I apologize. I did not mean for that to be the case. So, but even going to target, like I went to target like a couple days ago and it's like, it just blows my mind. Like, you know, there was somebody that, that blew right by me to, to go look at cookies. Like, okay, 
you want cookies. I'm not telling you you can't have cookies. It's a free country. Go buy cookies. If you see me like looking at something and like I haven't made a decision yet, I'm pretty sure you could probably wait 30 seconds to, to rush over and buy cookies. And you know, that's, that's just my opinion. You could tell me I'm wrong. Uh, that's fine. But I feel like, you know, we could all get along to get along right now, as opposed to endangering each other's potential safety by going to have to get some EL fudges. That's just that. That's just me. That's my yeah. soapbox right there. I, I don't want to go on it too much, only because uh, I have my my own uh, opinions on it. But we are because you're, you're, you're pro opinion. you're pro EL fudge. You're that guy, right? That's what you're saying. <laughs> yes, I am. No, I. Uh, I feel that we're a very selfish nation, uh, and if anything, this has just proven how selfish we are. Self, um, maybe self-centered is probably the way I would describe it. That's like not to get too too far into the weeds, but I think that like people, it doesn't affect them until it affects them. I think that's where we're at, and and regardless of where your your beliefs are, I think that that's shaking out a lot across all of it. And it's very, it's very disconcerting to me, especially for as much as I've been out in public. And again, I understand that I'm probably part of the problem because like I could probably consolidate my trips out. And I, and, and like once we got like the bed in the house as of this Saturday, um, that's other, uh, here's my other magical story for you, Steve. Um, you know how I went to the scary store to go buy beer today. I'm like, you know, I don't have beer in the house. Well, it was probably a good decision not to have beer in the house, but I'm like, I kind of want beer. There is an app called Drizzly. Have you seen this app? I have not. I, I probably shouldn't tell you about this. Uh, it's like D R I Z L Y, and they're a beer and alcohol delivery app. Like it's basically Uber Eats, but for like booze. Um, <laughs> and so every time I checked it, it always had like a wait time of like the next day. And I'm like, well, I don't want to drink. I mean, yeah, I want to drink tomorrow, but I want to drink now. You know, like what's what? You know, I don't want to plan ahead. I'm making poor decisions at the moment. Um, but I, today I checked just briefly and it's like, this was like 11 or 12 o'clock today. And it was like, Oh, delivery available between five and six. I'm like, well, that's perfect. It's right before the show. Everybody needs to hear me and my dumb thoughts in my head spilling out as I'm drinking. That needs to happen. And so I, I ordered my, my beverages and then, um, it was about like, what was it like maybe four o'clock? I'm up, I'm up in my office doing, you know, actual work and I hear the doorbell and, and my wife doesn't know that I've done this. And, and she's like, and I hear her up. She's like, did you order something? I'm like, yes, I did. And I just come downstairs and there's a guy setting all the stuff on the porch and he just leaves. And I'm just like, holy shit. Not only did they show up same day, they showed up early. So way to go drizzly. And it was like a $5 delivery fee. And then like, and then you had a tip, like it was wonderful. See, that's nice. So uh, we have, we have done curbside pickups for all of our groceries, but the last few times my wife has, uh, asked me to go because I have no shame because <laughs> we'll order we'll order like a bunch of booze because we don't want to go anywhere for another week we could have so it looks like we're throwing a party even though it's just no two alcoholics live here um, but uh, uh, at least you can use I, the excuse of two it's just my wife and myself <laughs> and she like has like half of a wine cooler and then she's good I'm like nope <laughs> Put in a jug. I'm 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 gone. You know. So, but it's interesting because you know she's like I don't know. I just feel bad that you know like they're gonna have to bring out all this alcohol and you know. And I'm like 
I don't care. I'm like, <laughs> if it, you know, like, if it keeps us from having to go out, I'm fine with it. But it's like, it's the thing cur- that I find is interesting is, is that of the places that we've done curbside pickups from, we've done Walmart and Giant Eagle are the two that we've done. And uh, the two times that I've gone to, to Walmart, the one person took the tip that we offered him. The second time I went, the guy was like, no, we're not allowed to take tips. And I was like, please take the tip. You're doing a job that I don't want to do. And I, I don't want to go into the store. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know that you don't make a lot of money probably running, you know, stuff out to somebody's car. I, I <laughs> Risk, think risking your life for Steve's beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know how else to put it, but yeah. And, uh, like, listen, these, time, these e-haul fudges won't come to me like without your help. Yes. Here's here's your Miller Lite, Coors Light, M and M's, barbecue potato <laughs> chips, and uh, you know, I mean, yeah. So it's funny because then the other two times that we've done Giant Eagle, uh, the first time they took the tip that I gave them, and the second time they said that they couldn't accept it. And I'm just like, they always tell me that it's company policy, and I'm like, okay, if it's a, it's a dumb company policy, but B, I'm like, take it anyway, like. I, I don't know. Maybe there's some sort of, you know, um, if they get caught like by somebody that's above them or a camera, then, yeah. then I like, I can, I can understand their hesitancy. I get that. But I just, I don't know. I feel like if, if those places offer those services, they should allow those people to be tipped. You know, yeah. if they're bringing out my four 15 packs of Miller light, uh, and a half pound bag of M and M's. I'm sure that they should be able to, to get a tip. Yeah, and I I felt bad because on, on Drizzly, I didn't realize that like it, it included a tip in my order, so it isn't like I was that guy. But I mm-hmm. didn't see the option to tip more, which what for as much as you have been good about like not ordering food, we've been full tilt, being like, can it be dropped off on our steps? Can I shove my face in it? Bring it, you know, like it's what's been going on. Um, but I've been over tipping. Like I mean. Because it's, again, it's not a guilt thing. It's just like, you're doing something that I, like, you're getting extra money. You deserve this extra money. I'm giving this to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so there was a tip baked into what, what I you know, gave, but I just didn't realize that because I would have given them more because this is the magical beer car, you know? But yeah, um, it, it showed up and I was like, oh, I'm not quarantined. I can deal with this. And it's like, it's like, Paul, you have no money left. It's like, yeah, but the beer's coming. You know, that's where we're at with that. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyway. Um, you would think that even I know in the process of moving everything and having more AKA free time, meaning I wake up, I walk from one room into another room and turn on my computer. I go to work, which is still weird to me. I know you also, uh, telework as well. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's weird to me because I have a ritual that like, you know, like a a regular grown up would be like, I get up, take a shower, leave the house, go to work. Now it's like, get up look myself in the mirror looks like my, like my hair looks like, um, like a, a Warner brothers cartoon, the shotguns went off in my face. Like my hair's all over. Like it's so bad. And I sit down and I'm like, I'm, I'm an active professional. Like what, you know, like I'm wearing flannel pajama bottoms and I'm going to be talking to people like I'm a grown up. Uh, so that's been weird. Um, but you'd think with all the free time that I would have been watching a lot more stuff, this is not true. I did watch one thing, and I'm sure you have other things that you'll want to talk about. Actually, I, there's two things. One, you, I know you and I both had seen it, was the Parks and Rec reunion special, which was great, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. 
smartly written too. Like it was all the original, like good, the, like the, a lot of the head writers. So it actually felt like an episode of Parks and Rec with the limitations of Zoom. Sorry, Grizzle or whatever their their communication app was, <laughs> which fits in with the series. It was just a lot of fun, and it was really funny. Um, I. I sat down and I watched Birds of Prey. I did. I um, the, like. I was going to like. Oh, you know what? It's funny because the Invisible Man uh, from Universal is still twenty bucks. Like I'm like, it's been out for a while. It should you should make it a rental now. Birds of Prey was like, hey, you can either you know you could rent us for twenty bucks, and then like the next day it's like or four dollars. Um, so I watched it. It's a lot of fun. Like the movie's actually really good. Like I think you'll end up digging it a great deal. Um, it kind of, it kind of takes the sour taste out of your mouth after suicide squad in a lot of ways. And Margot Robbie's just a delight. It's a lot of fun. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I haven't some, one of my big confessions is, is that, uh, as much as I'm indulging in comfort food, a little literal comfort food, I've been indulging in a lot of, um, entertainment comfort food as well. I haven't been really seeking stuff out the way. I normally would be. Um, and I, I think everybody's doing that right now. Um, but, uh, um, I'm trying to think, I don't know that I've watched that many new movies to be perfectly honest. I think everything that I've been watching recently in the last couple weeks has just been revisits of things that I've either loved or haven't seen in a while or, um, you know, Oh, I haven't seen this in 30 years. Let's put it on kind of thing. Oh, that's so. fair. I just, I, I would recommend though. It's, it's four bucks to watch, um, uh, birds of prey and, uh, Ewan McGregor as black mask is just awesome. Like he's, it, it's just the, like it, it, it tries to be, it's an R rated movie and the violence in it is like, there's some of it that's just like, like the, they, they brought in a choreographer for the fight stuff that did some of the John wick things. So it has that nice, like crisp snap to it. Like in some cases, literal. So there's some really good fight choreography. Like there's a whole sequence in a uh, evidence locker of the the Gotham PD that's really cool. But I don't know if it necessarily need to be R rated. But I'm I'm like I'm okay with it. And also Elizabeth Winstead as the Huntress. Like I just need a movie with her right now because the, her character to describe her her um, the way she plays the character would to be ruin people's like just go watch it. It's 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 wonderful. Um, you know, the, the whole thing is that maybe the birds of prey portion of like the rest of the team aspect of it could have showed up a little earlier in the movie, but it's just fun. And I, it's a bummer that it bombed at the box office. Cause I feel like not that Warner brothers and DC need to crib from Marvel, but you know, like it's not, it's not a bad playbook. You know, and it still has some emotional pathos and it still has like a fractured storytelling, which fits for Harley Quinn. And there's actually this one thread running through and you're about to say something. I apologize. Um, There's this whole thread where you she talks about how she went to college and and became a psychiatrist. So there's these elements here and there where she'll mention things. That's like a complete like, you know, character assessment of somebody right then. And it's like she's still a psychiatrist and it's really cool. Like it's 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 a it's a really fun movie. Yeah, that's cool to hear. I, I I don't know that I read a bad review of it. Um, and I know <laughs> that uh, the weekend it came out, we did that Suicide Squad watch. And then my wife was like, I have no interest in watching that. So um, I was like, oh, well, you're probably not going to want to see this either. So we didn't make theater and then the world collapsed. Um, but I do think that our rating is... 
Boy, it's a double-edged sword uh, because I know that they looked at, at Joker and they're like, well, this made a billion dollars and it's R-rated, so... Uh, I, I think Deadpool they were looking more at Deadpool. Up. Yeah, I think it was more the let's get irreverent if we want to. I, I think maybe because the, some of the violence is so graphic. But then there's some of the language. It's just like, you know, you could have you probably could have walked some of that back on both halves and still had a movie. Not that again, you know me like I'm I'm a defender of if it's an R rated movie, then it's R rated. I don't care. I just think if that was one of those things that help people back from it. I think you could have put out a cut of this movie that would have like made everybody happy. That was PG 13. I've never been a proponent of the fact that, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. Yes. That if a movie should be R rated, it can be R rated. Um, but for instance, uh, I feel like people were disappointed that venom wasn't R rated. And I don't know if we talked about Venom on the show when I watched it, because I finally sat down and watched it uh, a few weeks ago. And it's it's not a bad movie. Uh, Tom Hardy is a lot of it, um, of, of the charm of that movie. Um, I I don't know that that movie's improved by an R rating. And <laughs> no, I also feel consi- like... Considering that, the, this, the, the, what it was, I don't think an R rating would have would have elevated that movie. No, you're right. Right. And I also feel like there's a version of Deadpool that you can do that's PG-13. Like, wasn't there? I, that's the... my personal opinion, and yeah. I know a lot of people are like that sacrilege to them. But I feel like you can do a PG-13 Deadpool and get a lot of fun out of it. What wasn't but, that the, the the special cut they put out for Christmas, like for Deadpool two? Wasn't that PG-13? The one where he did the Ben Savage gag, I'm Ben Savage, Fred Savage gag with uh, the Princess Bride, where they did the cut where he was telling the story to Fred Savage, and then they edited it out down to a PG-13, like the Once Upon a Deadpool. I think that's what they call yeah. it. Yeah. I've not seen that cut of the movie. I have not either, but I, I I feel like people have it so ingrained in them now that like this should be R-rated, this shouldn't be not, that kind of thing. That I feel like if they put a Deadpool three out or an X Force movie and it's not R rated, people are just going to be like, "Well, it's not worth seeing." Yeah, like, I just, you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. So, um, I've been revisiting some of the the uh, Marvel films because, uh, well, for a bit there, like, well, actually, I should take that back. All my movies are in boxes right now. Not that, not that it would stop me just from being like, "What's streaming?" Because I'm lazy and I don't want to pull a movie out of box. I uh, ended up uh, watching like Winter Soldier again, Ant Man, um, like. And so there's a lot of that where it's like Winter Soldier is like, it's still, I think it's still my favorite MCU movie and it's PG 13. It like, and it deals with some really heady shit and there's some really intense action in that movie. It, you know, like why, where, where does that need to be? That doesn't need to be in our movie. You know, like, I don't know, but it takes itself, it takes its content seriously. And it has, I just, I don't know. I feel like that's something that could be like, you could still have a good movie that makes you think, and still have action. It doesn't have to be R, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, uh, birds of prey solid. It's worth four bucks to rent. That's where, that's where I'm coming out on that. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I hate to put it this way too. Uh, I, I, since we have HBO, I know since it's a Warner property, it's probably going to end up at HBO at some point. I'm pretty sure that Joker is going to be on HBO in the next month or two. Uh, so I'm just now holding off 
for that to pop up for free on HBO. <laughs> I wish I wish I could just sit in the other room while you watch Joker <laughs> and watch you watch Joker. Like I just like not like not voyeuristic, but just more like a just like a just Fly to see on the wall. just to see this the look on your face and just like just to watch just the like abject frustration come in at times and then just I would love I would love to observe you watching Joker. Um yeah. Uh but you're right. Like Shazam's still on HBO. I have not watched that yet, and I know I need to. Which is weird that I didn't watch Shazam versus Birds of Prey. But Shazam's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, um. But yeah, I don't know. Like you, you said you've been watching a lot of Community recently. Uh, I've been watching. I, whatever reason, YouTube's been like, sorry, Comedy Central has been putting up full episodes of Tosh Point oh. That to me is like comfort food. I think I've been watching a lot of that. They've been putting up full episodes of Real Nine One One. Like, there's just been a lot of that. I've been watching. Um, and just a lot of video games, you know, the overwatches, uh, I think I talked about last time we recorded, maybe we didn't know it was your animation. Did I tell you that uh, world of Warcraft had this like blizzard entertainment said, Hey, we're doubling, we're giving 100% boost to XP to experience to characters. Uh, they were going to do it for a month and now they decided to do it until like probably the fall. So it's a lot of like, they're like, people are stuck indoors. Let's give an incentive to play a video game. So I've been playing a lot of world of Warcraft too. So, and I know you don't care, but it's been like sweet. It's like basically putting the gas pedal down, and leveling characters. So, okay. you know, it's <laughs> I, been, I was just trying to figure out what it meant. <laughs> sorry, one hundred percent experience boost, meaning that you get double like for everything you do. You're like, well, all right, like it's easy to like just blast through content and get a character a higher level pretty easy. So that's been nice. So. so it's the equivalent of like Mario being in the raccoon suit the entire time. <laughs> yes. That's, it's like, it's like that, but also him inside the shoe. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, uh, and one of my buddies is playing the game for the first time. So we've just been running around being idiots and having a good time. So, um, so that's, that's all I've been doing is like playing, playing world of Warcraft and then watching YouTube and, you know, being an adult owning a house. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Community. I'm going to go back to that for a moment just because uh, we we finished all six seasons. Um, I nice. had watched all the way originally through season five, and I did not watch the sixth season when it was on Yahoo. Uh, I don't really have a good reason why. I just, I don't know. I, I, it, I don't know. It, it wasn't was easy. TV. It, was, it was hard because you had to watch it on Yahoo TV, meaning yeah. like our browser. So, yeah, yeah, so... Um, which sounds lazy at this point now that I think about it. But uh, uh, after revisiting it, I think the last time we talked about it, I was talking about just how much the show was already there before it became what it became. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised because I kept equating things with later seasons that happened much earlier in the show. Um, Having rewatched it, um, just some brief thoughts. One, I don't think season four is as bad as people make it out to be. There's some strong stuff in season four. There's a couple decent episodes. The body switch episode, which was written by uh, uh, Dean Pelton. I keep forgetting mm-hmm. his name. That one was good. Jim Rash. Yeah, the puppet episode is actually pretty fun, too. Um, so uh, it, it does seem to be missing uh, the touch of Dan Harmon, but I don't think it's as bad. It's still streets ahead of other <laughs> sitcoms that I've seen in their fourth season. We'll yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Um, but uh, once you get to Troy leaving in season five, uh, and then once you get to season six, and then Shirley's gone as well, even though I love the new characters, and 
God, I, I love the opening of season six. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you off air. Uh, it's a, the beginning of the episode, a Frisbee lands on top of the school. <laughs> there have been like nothing but Frisbees up there for like 40 years, and it causes the roof to collapse. But it, it goes into a flashback where we see Leonard there in what I assume is either the 80s or the 70s. Yeah. Um, uh, it was so worth it for that moment. But So do you know why they uh, – I'll just tell you. Do you know why they did that? No. Um, because the, when they were doing season six, they couldn't get the original sets. So if you look at the cafeteria set, there's those two big supports in the middle of it. They had to justify why that was, so they wrote the story about the roof collapsing to justify why the set looked different. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah, like I, I love it. Um, and the addition of Keith David, he's got one of my all-time favorite lines where he says, I'm nobody's fourth Ghostbuster. <laughs> I, I literally was almost in tears at that line. I could not stop laughing. When I, so liked, some... I liked Paget Brewster's character too in season six. Like she took a second to grow on me, but I liked her a great deal because she kind of was like oppositional, and then she kind of was like in on it, like as a character, like from the like the couple episodes they brought her in, and from till the end. Yeah, she slowly becomes a part of the group, yeah. and uh, I, I really liked that aspect of it. Uh, I I loved uh, getting to see Garrett's wedding. And finding out that he's marrying a distant cousin that he didn't know. Um, (laughs) There were a lot of great things in that season. Um, But I will say, um, I feel like without Chevy Chase, it lost a little something. Without Danny, uh, Danny, Donnie, Donald Glover. Donnie Glover. (laughs) That's what all the kids call him now, Donnie Glover. They lost a, a big piece of the wheel just because I think Donald Glover is just so funny and talented. And I don't know that Abed, they really found a good, uh, I don't know. Troy and Abed together were, were such a huge part of those first four seasons. When you have three of the main characters like are gone and you got like one more season to go. Yeah, yeah, I mean, especially season five when you brought back um, John Oliver's character, which he was great, and then having um, a Jonathan Banks as uh, Professor Hickey, like mm-hmm. that was great too. It just it was different, uh, but yeah, it just there's. But I think bringing in the dean as more as a character in the sixth season was also fun. Like there was there they did ways to kind of uh, close ranks a little bit, and I didn't think it was. But you're like. It could never be what it was, but I still think for a, a, a sixth season that was never guaranteed, it was still entertaining. Yeah, it, it was it was very strong. Um, the episode where like the school board wanted to put uh, Dean Pelton on it and have him be their like token gay person, <laughs> and his whole thing was like, "I'm so much more than just a gay person." But the way they did it was so funny. Um, I, that stuff was really good. What, uh, what about the VR, like where he was supposed to be going into the operating <laughs> system that was like a lawnmower yeah. man-like? That was really good, too. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of good moments in, in uh, the, the last two seasons. And I, having revisited it, like it, it was a nice, uh, it was it was nice to revisit the episodes that I had seen. It was nice to experience the ones that I hadn't Um. But now there's all this excitement around community. Uh, obviously, you know that next week there's uh, – it's a table read that they've already recorded, but they're doing 
the episode that takes place after Pierce has died, a full table read, including Donald Glover, uh, that they're doing for charity. That's going to be up on YouTube, I think, on next Monday, uh, the 18th. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a full episode of uh, Joel, uh, McHale, and Ken Jeong have their own podcast now called Darkest Timeline. <laughs> and they... Uh, after they recorded the table read, they did an extra hour just for their podcast with everybody. Okay, I'll have to check um, that out. Uh, it's pretty funny. I think one of the best moments is, is they start talking about the group chat, and Donald Glover finds out that he's not in the group chat. And they're all like, we just thought you were too busy and too famous, and you wouldn't want to be in it anymore, or wouldn't want to be in it. And he's like, there's a group chat without me. Are you kidding me? So there's some really funny moments in that. Well, I saw the comment about like, what if what if Donald Glover's music was like half as good, but he was just as passionate? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I'll, have to, I'll and, check out that table read. And then obviously, uh, Dan Harmon recently said that uh, talks are happening. So good. Hopefully, we get that movie, and hopefully, they're able to get Donald to come back. Because does it kind of piss you off a little bit that like the moment it shows back up on Netflix and now we're in this time where everybody has to binge something. Everyone's like community is amazing. It's like, not that we want to be like, we were saying it before, but God damn it. We were saying it before. Like where, right. where is that? You know, like I feel like the other thing that's kind of starting to gain steam again is like scrubs. It's a, yeah. it's like, and I know, um, uh, Donald Faison and, um, you know, uh, the other guy, uh, JD, <laughs> Zach, Braff. Zach Braff, they're now doing a podcast where they're watching scrubs in order and talking about it and sharing their stories. Uh, and it's like, and that's starting to pick up steam again too. It's like, that was also an amazing show. Like I just, I mean, good, good. There's other shows in the office, you know? So good. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I wish those people would have watched when I was watching. Although we got nine seasons of scrubs. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be complaining. I, I've been there since I was there since the first season. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I shouldn't complain, but yeah, you're definitely right on community. Cause the people who are loving it now, I don't think we're watching it 10 years ago when it debuted. No, but I definitely ended up watching, uh, the basic or advanced dungeons of dragons episode again, after we talked about it and I uh, just, yeah, so good. So good. <laughs> So, all right, um, yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna transition to the news, but the first thing I want to ask you about isn't news news; it's Steve news. So we're gonna we're gonna go right to news here. Good news, everyone. So actually, I take that back. Like 40 minutes in, we're gonna go straight to news. That's bullshit. Um, so Steve news. Okay, Steve, I'll give you two options. There's two stories I want to talk about. One. It involves Star Wars, and the second one involves a sandwich. Which one do you Ooh. want to talk about first? <laughs> I'm going to go sandwich first. Okay. I know that's a swerve. But no, I'll no, 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 no. Explain to me your journey about your sandwich making that you fell down <laughs> during this time of quarantine. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is so dumb. Um, <laughs> So I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, like, uh, I, like a lot of people right now are indulging in a lot of comfort food and for whatever reason, uh, I got it in my head that I was like, oh, you know, we're ordering, we're doing a order of, uh, groceries for curbside delivery. And like, I'm going to try and recreate a sub that I used to get when I was a kid. 
And it's nothing fancy. It's literally the uh, sub that they would offer at the Kmart deli. But when I was a kid, I loved these things. And I kept finding these recipes that replicated them, but that didn't match up to what I had in, in my original memories. I didn't know must... that Kmart had a deli. Let's we'll put oh, that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was a regional thing, but uh, my mom worked at uh, our Kmart in Sandusky, like 79, somewhere somewhere in the like 70, late 70s, early 80s. And every once in a while, because I'm sure it was probably a cheap you know dinner to bring home to the kids and be like you know she probably got a discount <laughs> so even cheaper option to bring home dinner I mean, to the kids this, one was, just, this one was just left out i'll take it that's fine yeah. <laughs> you know we'd get subs from from uh, kmart and they're they're extremely simple but uh i found that the <laughs> and this is the, the the part that's not so great the way to recreate them is to put them in cellophane and put them in the fridge and let them sort of marinate overnight. <laughs> and uh, you can easily recreate the uh, the Kmart sub, which was American cheese, bologna, ham, uh, salami, pickles, onions, and mustard. Very simple sub, but for whatever reason, like, I kept coming up with uh, you know, I kept seeing these recipes that were like, oh, and it's got banana peppers. I'm like, well, I don't like banana peppers now. There's no way I was eating them as a kid. Um, some had tomatoes. I'm like, I know there weren't tomatoes on it. So I didn't like tomatoes as a kid either. So it was a journey, if you will, to recreate <laughs> the Kmart oh. sub sandwich. This needs to be like a four part Netflix documentary. That's what needs to happen where like you go around and interview people that like I heard tale of the Kmart deli. And it's like, you got people be like, no, there's actual photos of it. And then you find people <laughs> that are like, yeah, I was around then. And it's like, you find like the oldest Kmart deli, like person that worked. And it's like, yeah, people that say there were tomatoes. on it, that's bullshit. I never put a tomato on it. Like I would love, I would love that, you know? So they're <laughs> making a sub sandwich or whatever. You know. <laughs> there are certain things that I, I really hold dear from my childhood that oddly enough, I'm a fat guy that are all food related. <laughs> um, but uh, was there something from like your childhood that you got that was either from a place that no longer exists or something that was like special that you used to get that you just can't get anymore or you have tried to recreate? So, okay. Um, actually there's, there's two things that are readily available. That's not where I'm at. Um, the one, um, is a pepperoni roll. Cause I grew up in the middle of nowhere, West, West Virginia and didn't realize that pepperoni rolls were just bread dough for like, you get like the frozen loaves of bread dough at the store, let them thaw for a bit, just stuff them full of pepperoni and let them bake. So all it really is, is just like bread dough. And then you get that grease and like the fat from the pepperoni soaking into the bread. So it becomes bright orange and, and they're <laughs> amazing, especially when they come out of the oven and it's like, and you can just open it up and put some like, you know, like pizza sauce and some mozzarella cheese. And it's, it's amazing. Um, I've made them from a, on occasion around here and people love them, but it's just like, but like I've talked about previously now that I shouldn't have carbs. That seems like that's a bullet to my heart or my uh, spleen. Oh, yeah. So I can't really do that anymore, but I still want to make them every so often. Like one of, one of my, uh, one of my friends, uh, is a transplant also from West Virginia. My, my friend, Jason, who Steve knows, uh, 
like there's been times where I've talked about making them and it's, you almost see like a Looney Tunes cutout, like, like silhouette of him just bursting through the wall to grab them. Like it's just, there's something to be said for poor people food that you grew up with where your palate gets permanently screwed up where it's like, you want those things. And that's something I always want. Uh, the other thing too, and I've not been able to recreate it, but there's, there is a little shitty pizza place uh, that's in my hometown called the Capri. And you go in and you swear to Christ, like no matter what time of day it is, it's always that dark murky bar look inside. And it's like, you know, you know what I'm talking about where it's like the amber light of the jukebox. And it's like, that's, and there's like a, there's like a Bud Budweiser sign. That's like, it's been around since like the seventies. It's just like, it's, it's just that dark. I don't know how to describe that, that, that amber, like that dark amber glow of like the bar. You know what I'm talking oh, about, yeah. right? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, no matter what time of day it is, you go in and it's like, and there's always an old woman there taking the orders and they do a thing down there called a hoagie, which you tell me that's a sub. No, this is whatever it is. It must be like, like a hoagie, like a hoagie roll. And it's stuffed full of like, um, like steak and, and cheese and peppers and onions. And however they do it, it just, it, there's something about it is just magnificent. And then like, so anytime I go home and I have time, I have to get a hoagie. Like it's just one of those things. I have to get a hoagie from the Capri. And it's funny because I was trying to tell my, my now wife, like I've taken her down back to my hometown a couple of times. I was like, you don't understand. And then she had one bite once and she's like, this is amazing. I'm like, yes. And so like, she still talks about it every so often. <laughs> like, I don't know what it is. <laughs> Like, it's like, I want hoagies from the Capri. I'm like, we all want hoagies from the Capri. <laughs> like that's, like, I've not been able to recreate that. It's just like something about it, man. It's just there, like, there's something like that's, that's one of those things. I mean, I know it's not necessarily the same answer you're looking for, but it's like, it still exists to my knowledge. I'm just four hours away from it. And it's just, yeah. Like I, I love that kind of, they're like, there's things like, uh, uh, growing up, like my, my, my parents would make what's called taco burgers. What they called it, it was basically ground beef and like cheddar cheese and taco seasoning with like buns. Cause Hey, we didn't have money. You're going to have a taco burger. <laughs> like I want one right now. <laughs> you know? like, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, you know, we kind of grew up with that stuff and like, you don't know when you're a kid, you don't know that like it's because what was left in the cupboard, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, you know, I, there were plenty of meals that my mom made that I'm sure were like, uh, just based off of like, this is what we have and I don't get paid till Friday or, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and things that I grew up loving. Um, it's funny cause this, this is an example of that, but it's one of the other things that I always think about is, is, a. Growing up, uh, did you guys have Hills stores? Yes, and, uh, we had Hills. Okay. Um, there was a Hills store, which was kind of where I feel like we did most of our... The, the uh, deli was shit, though. I'll tell you, the Hills deli. No, <laughs> <laughs> we, <laughs> J- the J.C. Penny deli is where it was at. <laughs> we did most of our shopping that wasn't grocery shopping, I guess, there. So if you needed a new shirt or, uh, I don't know... Um, tape or you know like it it was a a target without groceries basically yeah um but i used to love going there and uh well there wasn't a deli there was a concession stand that you know they had soft pretzels and frozen cokes and i would always get the like frozen coke that was uh mixed with a, a frozen cherry so it was like a frozen cherry coke and uh, my mom and I would always split a frozen pretzel 
And to this day, anytime I go somewhere and like they have frozen pretzels, I will or not frozen pretzels, but you know, well, they probably are frozen pretzels, but <laughs> <laughs> soft pretzels. I'll get them, and my immediate reaction after biting into them is always not as good as Hills. Yeah, I like it's, it's just never gonna match. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, yeah, but I'm glad that you, um, you did the homework, you did the math and I need to try one of these, uh, Kmart deli subs that you, uh, like, I also like that, like you said, some recipes had tomato and some didn't w- when they say tomato, did they mean like actual tomato slices or that thin paper, super paper, thin tomato slice that always ends up like, you know what I'm talking about? Like an all deli sandwiches where it's like a hint of tomato. Yeah. 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 Oh, is that a, that's a lawnmower. Hopefully I'll close the door now. So look at that. Close the door. Window. Uh, that's better. Um, that person's like, you guys are just wasting time talking about sandwiches. I want to mow my lawn. <laughs> it's 8 o'clock at night. Time to go yeah. mow the lawn. Why? Well, you're right. It's 8 o'clock. At- what is going on? All right. <laughs> so, yeah. No, congratulations. You you solved the riddle. Um, the riddle of steel. That's not really what I meant. Um, but, yeah, I want to try one of those sandwiches once we can, uh, you know, meet face to face. I think that would be I – think, I think it would be fun – to do like a platter of those and just like, just, just watch some like just shitty eighties movies and eat some like deli Kmart deli sandwiches. I think that'd be perfect. And then watch people's expressions as they're like, this is just a sub, Steve. I don't know. What's <laughs> like, you don't even know. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, okay. Um, yeah, I just wanted to hear this. I wanted to hear the story cause I saw your, I saw your documented struggles to figure this out. And I appreciate, I appreciate the journey. <laughs> Um, so, okay. Uh, so other story, it's not necessarily a story. It's just that I've been seeing a lot. So there, in terms of entertainment, uh, there's been like, there's other things we could talk about too. Like new mutants has a new release date. <laughs> we'll see it. Maybe who knows? I like that new mutants is going to come out so late that, um, I, Arya Stark is going to be like 30 when we finally get to the new mutants <laughs> coming out. Um, yeah. And she's, she's going to look like she did at the beginning of uh, game of Thrones. That's what's going to tell how long it's going to be anyway. So, uh, but the one thing that I keep seeing is all these, um, casting announcements for the Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not against casting announcements. Can I just, so I, I, you know, I loved season one of the Mandalorian and I think it ended wonderfully. I liked here. I'm going to throw this out here. Do you know why they are called spoilers? When Gus Fring came out of the TIE fighter having the Darksaber, um, like that was amazing. I, I didn't even know what the Darksaber was. People lost their minds. I'm like, oh, it, the, great. It's cool looking because we're dealing with the world that is like post Return um, Return of the Jedi. And we, you know, there's not much out there, right? It's post Return of the Jedi, right? That's what happened. Or is it between? I can't remember. But, five years after Jedi. Yeah, five years. So, so the whole thing of like Jedi, it isn't as you know, it isn't as widespread. There aren't as many Jedi out there. Um. So when he has that dark saber, you're like, holy shit, something's going on here. But then every other casting I see is like, this person's going to be this this uh, Jedi. This person's going to be this character. And then then there's also like this person's coming back as Boba Fett, and this person's being cast as. Um, whatever, um, the, the Starbuck from, um, um, from Battlestar Galactica has just been, um, announced to be somebody else. that's also like, a, like a Mandalorian bounty hunter or whatever. It's like all the stuff from the animated series, they're announcing like live action counterparts to be in the Mandalorian season two. And I guess I'm just kind of frustrated where it's like, I understand that the Mandalorian with the way the season ended, he's going to try to seek out those that are left. 
I don't need this to become space wizards again. Like that's frustrating to me. It's like, why are you now trying to backdoor all this other star Wars stuff when you've already given me like this more grounded, like guy who's just trying now he's kind of a father figure to this kid and he's just trying to figure out stuff. I don't need star Wars getting in the middle of my Western. Does that like, I know that sounds kind of funny, but this is why I like the Mandalorian because it was on the outskirts and not in the heart. So there's, I, I hopefully this helps. Uh, there's a couple of things that I just wanted to mention. The first one is, is, and I don't know how much you paid attention to just general Star Wars fans or reactions uh, when Rogue One was being made, because um, I don't believe I was on the show at that point. But no, I'd gotten your audition tape, and I was like, I don't know if he's got it. You know, it's, <laughs> and then suddenly it's like the, the, it was my time. To the shine. talent was okay, but the swimsuit portion, you really need to pick it up there. So, <laughs> but, uh, when they announced, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name now. Um, uh, Forrest, uh, Forrest Whitaker. Yes. When, when they announced that he was going to be playing Saw Gerrera, like Star Wars fandom, like went crazy. And, what I thought was funny was Saw Gerrera has, I don't know, maybe four episodes of the Clone Wars cartoon that he'd been in. So it was this weird thing of like, people don't know who that is and they don't care. And then Saw Gerrera's in the movie for maybe 10 minutes at most. Yeah. So take, take this to, to heart or not, but with Katie Sackoff playing the character of Bo-Katan, her arc on the series, if I remember correctly, she was the last person who had the black saber, okay. which uh, this moth now has. Uh, moth yeah, Gideon, yeah, yeah. His name uh, Gus, Gus Fring, yes, yes. So <laughs> that makes sense to me. Although I, I think they're wise to, you know, uh, not expect. I think Star Wars fans try to look for connections way too much. And no. it'll be smart for them to just in, introduce this character as she's a new character and and let everything that's happened in, you know, six years of an animated series just go to the wayside in the sense of like, here's what you need to know. She possessed the Black Saber before he did. Done. And she's Mandalorian. That's that's literally the only two things that you need to know about her. And hopefully they'll go that route. Yeah, um, that's, that's fair. I mean, cause I mean, Katie Sackhoff, like that's, if you're going to cast her, you're casting her because people like most like pop culture fandom knows her as Starbuck from Battlestar. Right. So it's like, that's, you're not just casting a, like somebody standing in armor and then they're going to get killed by, you know, uh, by Gideon and move on. So there's going to, they're going to do something with that. Right. So like, and I'm okay with that. Just, I don't need, please don't make me go back and watch six seasons of a show that I, it sounds like I'll probably like, but just to inform me on this part, whenever you saw the dark saber and you're like, okay, well that's badass, And that's implying something else. I didn't know the history of it, but seeing a black lightsaber for the first time in like a live action setting, I was like, this is different, you know? And I, I was, I was all in. Yeah. And, and the other two castings, uh, Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano. Um, I think that actually this is a good idea in the sense that, What's interesting about Ahsoka is is that she was introduced as Anakin's Padawan in the Clone Wars cartoon. 
However, Revenge of the Sith had already been out, I don't know, like a year or two after that, or before that at that point. And people immediately are like, why do we get three movies about Anakin Skywalker where we never find out he's got an, uh, a Padawan? And what happens to her if Order 66 happens? The the short of it is, is that uh, the second to last season of Clone Wars, which they oddly enough just wrapped up, uh, they they brought it back. It had been canceled in like 2013. They just did a new season on Disney Plus, which actually explains what happens to her during Order 66. And those are some really good episodes. But she's walked away from being a Jedi. Um, she's she does carry a lightsaber, but she has become in a later series Rebels. She becomes more of a contact for the Rebels uh, to get information from that okay. kind of thing. Um I don't know how else to, to best explain it, but she's yes, she carries a lightsaber. She does not consider herself a Jedi. I know that that's still a fine line, but hopefully that helps you from worrying about it becoming too much. Um, but I think also this is a testing ground because Ahsoka Tano is a character that people love and they have not gotten in a live action series. So I have a feeling it's going to be more of a like in a couple episodes and out. <laughs> I mean, they count, I mean, I, I trust, I trust Favreau, like, cause he's, he's guided this well. I, I, I trust that, like, I know he's got Dave Filoni in there and some other people that know the stuff. They know their Star Wars. And I'm not saying the Mandalorian didn't feel Star Wars. The Mandalorian definitely felt Star Wars, but it felt Mandalorian. Like, I don't need, you know, it just, it was so. Like I just would, I know I've talked about this before, like the score and everything else. It's like, this is, it's just, it's becoming its own thing and it's, it's existing in the star Wars universe, which is what it needs to do. In my opinion, to be successful, I just don't need the rest of star Wars to go rushing into it headlong. That's all. And that's fair. And I think Favreau is smart enough to not bog the show down, uh, with continuity that people don't know who are just casual viewers. Yeah, I mean, my um, God, you got Bill Burr coming in there as like from the planet of Boston, you know, with a third gun. <laughs> like, come on, like just, just there's, like, well, I think they, they have I a good thing also, going. I think also, uh, you know, when it comes to like you said that you you felt like it was Star Wars, but not Star Wars, or it was his own thing. I almost would argue that outside of Rogue One, this that series felt the most star Wars to me, the Mandalorian out of the, uh, even outside of the sequel trilogy and solo. So I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's different things to different people, but I, I think it feels very star Wars. Um, and I understand your, your desire to keep it in the same tone that it's been going through. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess when I say it, it doesn't, it is Star Wars, right? Like, there's no doubt. Like, there, it's just I don't need to have, like, you already have the baby Yoda, and you know he's forced, super force powerful, and you already have those flashes of things going on, so you know it's going to happen further, and you know he's going to be seeking out where this thing comes from, and that's fine. But I like that the Jedi's they're almost references, like you know, like they're rumors and legend, like, and then but the moment you start bringing in all this, it it kind of <laughs> it takes away some of that mysticism and I'd rather just be a story of a guy who was brought in to this clan of people because they, they view outcasts or orphans as worthy. Um, and then like, it just, 
it was it was building its own its own world within this world of awesome things. And I liked seeing the remnants of the fallout from the empire collapsing, like the chicken Walker that we saw in the one episode with the tribal painting on it. And then seeing like, there's still like these hot spots of like where the empires collapse, but they're still influence. Like they're like, that's, that's what, I mean, I know I understand that if you keep getting more of the same after I are going to lose, like lose like comfort or not comfort, but like wanting of that. Mm-hmm. But I'm nowhere near there yet. And I want more, I want more Gina Carano. I want more, like, I just want this where you, you have to shoot your way out as opposed to being like, well, what about our thoughts and feelings? <laughs> like, but what about swords? <laughs> like, I don't need, I don't know, man. Like, I, I just hope they don't, I hope they don't choke the goose that laid the golden egg with Disney plus by being like, you know what? Our movies didn't do so hot. We're going to just, just stuff this thing so full of force powers that everybody has to be happy now, which I think is the wrong lesson to take from the feedback they got from the movies. Yeah. I, I for right now I'll trust in Favreau and, uh, you mentioned Cara Dune or, uh, Gina Carano, um, whichever you prefer to call her. I like to think of her as Cara Dune cause she carries a gigantic gun and kicks ass. Um, I mean, I like, I like to think of her in many ways, but that's fine. Yeah. Just, you know. <laughs> uh, I I could definitely do with more of her in the first, in the next season. I I hope we get more of her in those episodes. Uh, Grief Cargo, which is um, Apollo. It's funny that I can remember his name, <laughs> but I can't think of his actual name. Carl so. Weathers. It's uh, Carl uh, Weathers. Yeah. yeah I, uh, that moment where he's like, "Come on, baby, do that magic hand thing." Like. <laughs> I still love that moment. So I hope we get more of Carl Weathers as well. Yeah. Right. Like I need some more bounty hunter shit going on. That's what I need. And the fact that they're like talking about Boba Fett coming in, it's like, yeah, I guess like I'm not, I'm not against it, but I'm also like, we already have a guy with the helmet looks like this and let him be his own dude for a minute. We don't need, we don't need him. We don't need Boba in this. We don't, but whatever. I mean, Again, if they have a good story reason and it makes sense, I'm sure like this time next year, I'll be like, Boba Fett was the greatest addition to the series. You know, that's what's going to happen. Well, um, I think actually one of the, the the most interesting ideas that they can explore if they with them bringing Boba Fett in is that he's not really a Mandalorian. That's, and yeah. He doesn't live by the code that the Mandalorian's living by and how the Mandalorians who are existing now are this small group who are just trying to preserve what they had. I think that'll be an interesting contrast and I'm hoping they explore that. That's fair. All right. So, okay. Um, you know, it's, it's about that point in the show where we've, we've talked about alcohol sandwiches and star Wars. Uh, I think that, <laughs> I think that satisfies all, all points necessary before we get into our, our main discussion here, which, um, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, uh, get into the year after Batman and talk about some other superhero, superhero movies that showed up and talk about dark man. So let's just do that right now. And now for our feature presentation. So the reason I picked uh, Dark Man to talk about uh, for this episode, it, there, it's a couple fold. One, um, I've been wanting to talk about Dark Man forever because I think this movie's great. And, I, you know, spoiler alert, I still think this movie's great. Two, when Steve and I were drunkenly walking around the sales floor of this cinema wasteland convention, I ended up buying um, a full movie poster of Darkman that I've not put up yet. Now that I have a house, it's co- it's going up. But I'm like, 
hell yeah, full-size movie poster Dark Man. Like, who else was excited about that? I was. I probably overpaid for it. That's what happened. Um, and also, too, like, we're at that time of year where this is when we're supposed to be going out of the theaters for, like, the early, like, comic book blockbuster, like, big, like, tent tentpole movies. So why not talk about, like, a superhero film that I think punched above its weight in a lot of ways? It's funny, too, that you mentioned the uh, the poster because – I think I think in a recent episode I mentioned that uh, uh, for like two months straight, every comic book I bought had like a free poster for uh, Shocker, the Wes Craven film. <laughs> yeah. uh, I remember why well, they didn't get free po- posters out. I feel like, I don't know, there was a stretch for about three months in uh, 1990 where every comic book I bought had an ad for Darkman in it. Like it was just a given. If you bought a comic, there was a dark man at it and it DC Marvel didn't matter. Yeah. Well, and I guess I was reading per, per the trivia that, um, uh, who was it? Um, who released the film? Oh shoot. That's going to bug me. The studio that did it. Um, they released, I thought it, it was universal universal. They, they didn't dump a money, a bunch of money into promotion, but they, but their, their ad campaign of who is dark man. Sam Raimi was like, that made the movie. And so, you're right. That's funny that you bring that up as something you remember because it was actually a pretty strong reason why the film did pretty well. Aside from the yeah, fact I, that the film's pretty good. I remember that tagline being everywhere. Yeah. So this film, um, I think is important in a lot of ways, but we'll just get into it. I, I, I normally will do like a big, like, you know, day and date things, you know, whatever it is. If like, it was like a year of canon or whatever. However, I just want to mention this came out in August of 1990 uh, this was the year after Batman, correct? Because Batman was 89. Yeah. Yep. So, um, and I, we've talked about other comic book movies, like, or precursors to comic book films on this show. Uh, like the original Superman, uh, we've talked about, um, you know, and we've not talked about the 89 Batman, which I know Steve's just like, I'm done with the show. I don't know why I've not actually talked about it, but we've, we've not actually covered it as a topic on, on the show. Um, it's really weird that last year would have been the 30th anniversary and I let that go. That's odd. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but there was there was a period there where like something being like a comic book movie didn't always do well or wasn't always treated well. And this one isn't this one isn't necessarily based upon a comic book, but its origins are very much firmly stuck in comic books uh, and a couple different things too. So I think this film was important to go back and look at one because I think it's, it's underrated. And if people have not watched dark man, like seek it out. Cause it's, it's, it's great. And then also watching it now. And after knowing how well Raimi handled Spider-Man one and two and, and three, and uh, we can talk about that. Like it's studio interference or whatever, but the, the DNA for those Spider-Man films is so throughout this movie it's it's just ridiculous, and to see like, especially now that um, Raimi's been like tapped to direct the Doctor Strange sequel, it's just it was fun to go back to this to see this was his first big major studio release, and it's it's a it's a comic book origin story film. It's like it's the blueprint. Yeah, I mean, if you don't get this movie, I don't think you get Raimi's first Spider Man. I feel like after rewatching this, this is very much a training ground for, I mean, let me rephrase that because, you know, 
Raimi at this point had a ton of experience, or by the time he did Spider-Man, he had a ton of experience, and he'd even done other genres. But I don't know that you get 2002 Spider-Man without this film. I, I feel like half of that movie is... I, I feel like he took a, the approach that Dick Donner did with Superman, where he tried to give it a verisimilitude, uh, an honesty and a truthfulness to what he was doing. Uh, I feel like the other half of that was is that he gave Spider-Man his own spin. And I feel like a lot of I, I, I look at Darkman now and I see a lot of his evil dad in it. I see a lot of his Spider-Man in it. I feel like he he's maybe Army of Darkness is a better example, but it's very much Sam Raimi's take on a superhero. And I feel like it's um, it's a learning grounds for what he's going to do. 10 years later when he gets to Spider-Man. So just to kind of give a little bit of background here. So in terms of his actual theatrical releases, uh, 81 was evil dead. 85 was crime wave, which was more of like a tongue in cheek comedy that didn't do so well. Uh, I've never actually seen that. I've not either, but, but you see parts of this film and you can tell that there's elements of it because you can't do a film with like a heavy, like Durant and have a sidekick that has a gun leg that hobbles around without like knowing you know what you're doing <laughs> you know like when someone else is using your leg as a gun and all he's doing is hopping on one foot the entire time i'm gonna guess crime wave had a lot of that shit in it <laughs> like i'm just you know and so he did um evil dead crime wave evil dead 2 and then so this was his fourth film and then so this was 1990 92 would be army of darkness so okay. uh and then 95 would be uh, quick and the dead which is an awesome movie so we'll throw that out there but so in terms of like theatrical releases he didn't have the biggest exposure i know crime wave was kind of a flop however like he had this idea he pitched it they gave him a budget uh he wanted he actually wanted to do a batman film he couldn't get the rights and then he wanted to do the shadow it couldn't get the rights so he was like i'm gonna make up my own character and do this and that that's back at a time in which studios would actually let you do original properties. Who'd have thought, but mm-hmm. um, you can see a lot of Batman in this. Um, it's well, not only cause there's a Danny Elfman score. Like it's just, you hear the Elfman score. You're like, this is Batman is AF like at times, you know, like some of that's so much fun. Uh, you can see the shadow, like with, especially with like the fedora and like hiding and playing, you know, the mob guys against each other, like the organized crime, like, but there's this there there is a element of the grotesque that runs through all of this that is very much Raimi and I from what my reading he was so much influenced by like the Universal monster films and the sense of like the monsters are scary but also like there was a humanity to them and the way people treated them and you get this throughout the entire film like it it honestly surprises me that we're in a day and age now where there hasn't been a theatrical sequel announced with Raimi and Liam Neeson at the positions they are right now as power, like as being more established. It surprises me that they've not revisited this. So I I have two questions for you. Uh, The first one is, is have you seen either of the the sequels? No, I love uh, Jeff Fahey and no, I've not. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen them either. Uh, my next question is, uh, well, it's not even really a question. It's just positing, uh, realizing that uh, Raimi wanted to do a Batman movie. Like, 
I don't know why that appeals to me so much now, but I, I'm I'm trying to picture what a Raimi Batman movie would be, and I I, I so desperately want it. As much as I love '89's Batman, I, hell, I mean, I realize he's doing Doctor Strange now, but uh, I boy, think oh boy, if I would have done to see if he would have done Batman, I think it would have. I think it would have not been as um, cart not cartoons not the right word a funhouse mirror as Tim Burton was at times. I think he would have grounded it, but I think he also probably would have let you know he would he still would open his box of toys. I think I think um, Burton was actually the right person for the right time for the Batman film, like for '89. Uh, I, I will not I will not say that he was always the right person for all projects later, but that's just you know. Again, I'm not speaking from the most informed opinion and I'm drinking and I'm recording with my friend Steve on a podcast. So, you know, I'm not a smart person, but that's my gut. I'm just sticking to my gut. Um, but I think a Raimi Batman would have been interesting. I think it would have been, I think there would have, would have been a good sense of character and tragedy. I think he would not have shied away from the comedy though. I don't, I don't think Burton does too all the time. I think Jack Nicholson drags that movie into some funny spots and that's not what we're talking about here, but I think Raimi would have not been, been Burton, but I think, I, I think his vision would have been like closer to. Yeah. I just, I, I can't help but wonder at, at, at the different points where they've rebooted Batman, what that version would have been, you know, had there not been, you know, either Joel Schumacher doing a Batman forever you know, in 95, what if it had been Sam Raimi? Or let's say Christopher Nolan doesn't do uh, Batman Begins in 2008. What would have a Sam Raimi Batman have been like? Or even if it was that we didn't get the Zack Snyder verse and, you know, and, and Raimi gets to reboot Batman. Like, I'm just thinking, like, there's three periods within that time where he was an active filmmaker and like, wow, it would have been just interesting to see what his take would have been on that character. Yeah. And I think I've talked about this on the show previously that, that cause I know, um, I, I think it was with, uh, with Joe, um, you know, uh, he's out there just being Joe. We, we miss him. We love him. He's okay. Guys. It's really, <laughs> like we've been like, I think he and Joe, I covered call, call yeah, us. Yeah. Let us know. Are you okay? No. Um, I've seen, I actually, I was face to face with him recently and you know, he's, he's doing good. You know, he's looking good, feeling good. Um, I, I think he and I covered the Spider-Man films in regards and re, like the, the Raimi films revisiting. Cause I had not seen three again since the theater. I think we covered it on an episode here. I think it was he and I, not you and I. Um, and I think I, I told, I said then that there's the sequence in Spider-Man two, whenever, um, Dr. Octopus is in, uh, the ER and they're trying to take the arms off of him and how like the arms come like self-aware and they start attacking all the people. I think I said at that time, because I wasn't as, as well-informed or like knowledgeable, I was like, Oh, well that's a callback to evil dead with the way everything was like just jarring, like, like the quick zooms and like the over, the overcranked or undercranked camera and whatever the one that makes things fast. Like you, like Raimi was still exhibiting his, his, his style in Spider-Man too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like one of the first times I recognized like a director's style was like watching a movie in the theater. Um, and you know, take that with you guys, what you will, but watching this now and seeing a lot of that, it's like, you see he, even back in evil dead, he still had his tendencies. Um, so there's a style here and it's just, I, I, I don't know. 
I don't know if if Raimi. I've not seen a simple plan, so maybe maybe I'm wrong about all this. But I feel like he um, he has he has a style. He has, like even like Drag Me to Hell, which I don't know if you've seen. There's a lot of that too, where it's like a lot of the weird zooms and sudden push-ins and things that he knows how to make a crowd pleasing movie. And this movie from start to finish is that. And you can see that if this was his um, resume to go to Sony and be like, I could do Spider-Man. I know people say the big drawback for the first two Spider-Man films is that there's not enough humor in it. I think there's enough. Maybe his Peter Parker wasn't like a, a quip a minute, but there's still fun bits to be had in this. And I think Darkman also shows that in the midst of all this horrific things going on, there is some Looney Tunes shit that happens that's really enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, I will say, because I don't want to spend a lot of time on Spider-Man, I'll say that uh, Peter Parker doesn't need to be the quipster. Sure, Spider-Man does, but you don't need that with Peter because that's not who Peter is. He's more relaxed when he's in the costume and he's yeah. he becomes a different person. Um, I actually didn't have any problem with the comedic, I guess, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, percentage of the Spider-Man movies. Um I think the only drawback to the first two is that Green Goblin suit that he's sacked with in the first movie. But <laughs> fair enough. Um, the interesting thing I am about Darkman, and I know that like what put it in my head is the gun leg because I completely forgot about that. But as I was watching the opening of this film, I thought, "Holy shit, this would be a great Groundhouse movie." <laughs> yes. Like this feels very much like something that that. Uh, Robert Rodriguez might have watched and gotten that idea from. And I'm like, can you imagine if this had gone darker and crazier? <laughs> and it was like balls to the walls, just, you know, uh, your uh, uh, planet terror or, uh, you know, machete level of violence. I'm like, this could have been, it's great as it is, but like, man, I'm like, if this would have been a grindhouse movie, this movie would have been insane. No, for sure. And you could, you can tell that, I mean, and this is me speaking out of turn maybe, but you could tell like Del Toro watched this and loved it. And this was informing his, like you could see shades of like some of like the balancing of the dark and the light, even like, even in like his Hellboy movies. Like, I feel like this is something that like Raimi has a formula and I know this is R rated cause there are some horrific things that happen. Uh, but there's also this bits where it's like in the middle of all this, where like there's a bit at the end where the one dude with the long hair, like ends up shooting somebody cause he thinks he is like, you know, like he thinks somebody else, he pulls a mask off and realizes somebody else, he pulls off another mask and realizes like, Oh, it's my, it's my partner. And the dark man walks up with a, the face of the same guy. And they somehow got the actor to act more unhinged as playing as dark man as they're side by side. It's really funny. But it's like in the middle of this like like pretty prolonged like intense action sequence. It's like it's 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 Looney Tunes. Like I loved it. So I just wanted to say this real quick. Yeah. When you say the long haired gentleman, is that also the gentleman that we know from Wayne's World? Oh yeah, he's the camera guy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Where it's like I love you, and he's like, it's like yeah, it's like thank you. He's like no, it's like just. Tell him he's like, yeah, that's great. He's like, no, just tell him you love him too. Like that's the when same he guy. popped that's, up. That was my first thought. I was like, oh my god, it's it's the guy from Wayne. Yeah, he's like, I love you too, man. And then like Garth is like, thanks. Like, yeah, that's him. <laughs> You're right, that's him. Um, but, so uh, yeah, please go I, ahead. You know, uh, when you mentioned that, like 
I think that uh, there's a lot of actors who have to not only play themselves but also also play themselves throughout the film as Darkman, and I think that they're all spot on. I, I I feel like they're all carrying the same tone and they're all putting in a same the same performance, even though they're they're playing both them their own character and then a separate character, which I think is a nice thing for an actor to get to do as well. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to mention was is that you mentioned Del Toro. And uh, I think any person, any director, writer, creative who's making genre films now, if they don't say that they're a Sam Raimi fan, they're lying. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. It, there's too much of his stuff in so much of the things that we see now that I, I, I can't. I, I bet you if you sat down with Guillermo del Toro and were like, tell me about Sam Raimi, he'd gush for like a half hour. I at imagine. least, at least, right? Like, for sure. Um, so maybe maybe we should take a step back because this is what we do. We just barrel in. Uh, if you've not seen Darkman, um, one, you should watch it. But the I guess we should just lay the groundwork real quick so we can talk about this further. The crux of it is, is that you have Liam Neeson, uh, who plays a guy named uh, Donald Westlake. That's a, That's a great name. Um, who he has, sorry, Peyton Westlake. Why I say Donald? I don't know. Peyton Westlake. You've got Donald Glover in your head. Sure. I have Donnie Glover. D gloves. But he is a scientist who is trying to research like synthetic skin to help burn victims. But the problem is that they can print things like they have like this futuristic 3d printer, which is like still like a little off in the distance in terms of sci-fi, but not that far off now. But then it would seem like ridiculous that they could print out like, you know, skin for body parts and it would hold together for 99 minutes and then it would fall apart. And so you got him. He's trying to solve the riddle of why is the skin falling apart? And his girlfriend, who's played by Francis McDormand, who is an attorney for um, this big OCP. It's basically RoboCop. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, where she's working for a company that's like doing some dirty dealings that are trying to like acquire different parts of the city so they can build their own, which I don't know if you know, those like their big city, like tower that they're in. That's the GM building in Detroit. Like it, it, it's, it, this is basically RoboCop. Um, Cause Sam Raimi and his, his family is, and, and Bruce Campbell, they're all from Michigan. Doesn't surprise me. Um, and so the whole thing is that she discovers something she shouldn't. She has a memo showing something underhanded. Uh, wires get crossed. Um, Durant, who is played by um, Larry Drake, who I love him in this movie, him and his heavies come in and rough up Liam Neeson's character looking for this memo. And they throw him into this vat of chemicals and they ruin his hands. And they basically think he's dead. Um, and then that sends uh, Liam Neeson's character shooting into the sky. <laughs> in the water being rescued by the hospital being treated like a hobo. They tell him that his skin is so burnt that he's going to constantly feel pain. So they snipped his uh, nerve endings. So he can't feel pain. But because of that, there's like untold amounts of adrenaline run through his body. So he breaks out of the hospital, has a vendetta, finds his old science equipment, starts printing faces and starts playing gangsters against gangsters. It's an amazing film. So, yeah, um, a couple of things on, on that topic. Uh, just, uh, well, I shouldn't say of that topic. On the you know the, you just Paul, you were right, but you're completely wrong. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> uh, first, I wanted to talk about Larry Drake as uh, the villain, um, Durant. Uh, I want to, A, just say that 
and I don't know how much of this is in the writing. I don't know how much of this is Raimi's direction or if it's something that he came up with on his own, but it's very, it's very interesting to me that in this era, I feel like other actors would have been like, well, I'm going to do the Joker. I just watched Jack Nicholson a year ago, do the Joker. And it's this big performance and it's over the top. And then you have this same year, oddly enough, Dick Tracy, which is like a bunch of celebrities as your villains in makeups doing over the top big performances. It's a very, I don't want to say it's a quiet performance. No, but you, you would expect somebody else to take this and read the room and like chew the scenery. And he right. doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all, which I actually quite like. I, I like the fact that uh, even when he's doing something as menacing as chopping somebody's fingers off with his cigar cutter, he keeps it at an even keel. Like there are points in the movie where obviously he gets mad and, and, you know, yells at people and things like that. But it's a very nuanced performance, I think, is the best word I, I can put to it. Um, it's it's not an over the top villain. It's it's not, um, you know, it's it's not a Nicholson type performance. Which both those things can exist, you know, simultaneously and both be equal, be good for their their own reasons. But it's just it's surprising to me that they decided to go that route. And uh, whether it's Raimi, whether it's Larry Drake, um, whoever decided to have that more. Um, you know, uh, less over the top performance. We'll put it that way. Uh, it should be applauded because it's quite refreshing within the film. No, you get the vibe that he's a man in control until he's not like type of thing versus like, I'm just a random person and I'm just going to be a terrible guy. Like you, like even him, like there's a bit when after they, uh, they, destroy Liam Neeson. Um, and I, I always keep wanting to say that he has particular set of skills and that skills are taking photos, printing faces and talking with gruff voice. That's his skills here. And also being unreasonably mad at carnival workers. That's his other particular skill he has in this. Um, but there's a bit where they, they said the, about the lab assistant, he's like, get his fingers. Like, and you see later when he opens like his like display case of fingers, as much as he marvels over that, and it's horrific. It's like, that's his, you get the notion, and I guess they're hinting at in the movie that he has a military background. This is his, the, these are his keepsakes because they're, he's not a psychopath in the sense of like keeping mementos because he's a serial killer, but it's like, these are my trophies of war. And so you get the notion for him. It's like, I've come in, I've said my piece, I've taken a piece of you, and now everybody else will see my, what I've done and tremble. And I dig his performance in this. Yeah, and I mean to be perfectly honest, I I haven't seen um, Doctor Giggles, which is another performance that he gives where he's a villain. Um, uh, to be perfectly honest, most of what my knowledge of his acting career prior to this was was, or even after this, was uh, the character of I think it was Benny on LA Law. Yeah, where he played um, a person that was developmentally disabled, right? And right. And so Sam Raimi, so trivia, Sam Raimi had not seen him in that role, <laughs> and and then when he came in like to like do his like you know um, he auditioned for the role, he didn't know him as Benny. And cast him because he reminded him of like an earlier, like silver screen, like menace villain with his face and everything. And it's like, 
good on Raimi to be like, you know, but how, how would you feel like if you're watching LA law at the time and be like, well, that's Benny. We like him. He's in the, Oh shit. What's that guy doing with the fingers? Like, you know, <laughs> and I'm yeah. sure for him as an actor, that was probably refreshing. A welcome. Yeah. Yeah. A, a welcome, ref- um, change just simply because, you know, it would be so easy for him to be typecast in that role. Um, that, uh, getting to play a villain, like this, I'm sure was just a, a treat. Yeah, he's so great in this. And even at the end, whenever he's in the helicopter with that, um, like that, that the uh, grenade launcher has a barrel clip, and he's just like taking shots at, um, you know, a dark man. It's like you get the vibe that he knows how to handle that gun. Like there's no, there's no like bumbling about him. Like, and I, mm-hmm. I, it's just like, and that's that's refreshing in the sense of like you can easily have it play for comedy. And there's the bit later in the movie whenever um Leon Neeson's character um he he's he copies the face of Durant and goes to interrupt a um a money handoff and one of his heavies sees like you know that the and, and Durant also is delayed and he shows up to this restaurant and there's a a um like a um a spinning door um that's not the right word what's it called um the, the, the door that spins what do you call that uh anyway uh, a revolving revolving door. door, you know, that's another word for spinning. And you have Larry Drake playing against himself and he's like, shoot him. No, shoot him. And it's like, it's really funny. Um, but it's like, that's played for comedy, but you don't ever doubt Durant as a character. Um, yeah, I just, he was a good villain and like, I, he wouldn't be out of place in like a, in a daredevil Netflix season. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking also is like, oh, if he popped up in a forties gangsters movie, you wouldn't oh, for sure. twice. Yeah. No, he would be a good Batman villain. Let's just be like he like the finger cutter or whatever they call him, like, you know. Uh I mean honestly, if you threw like a fake nose on him, he could probably have been a good penguin. Right? Uh what was yeah. the um oh what was the guy that always had the ventriloquist dummy with him? Um the ventriloquist. Was that <laughs> <laughs> was he near was he near a revolving door i don't know a spinny door i don't know like yeah he would have been a good penguin i think he also like yeah it just it would have been good um yeah and i also credit to and we've not talked about this yet but like there's the whole face printing thing anytime that in this in the film whenever um dark man was like copying like trying to be somebody else um like the actors that were playing the copies had to act like him. And you mentioned that they did a good job of that. Good job to the makeup department. Did you see how they made them look kind of like pastier and plasticky, like on their face with the makeup jobs, whenever you know who dark man was supposed to be at the time. Yeah. Uh, I think they gave some subtle cues to indicate who was who, but, yeah. uh, I also wanted to mention, uh, in my research, I saw that Tony Gardner, uh, did the special effects on this and Tony Gardner, I mean, throw a stick of it at an eighties movie. You're probably going to find something that he did special effects for. He's, uh, a pretty young guy at the time. Uh, I think, I feel like his first film is return of the, the living dead, which is 85, 86. Um, and from there he sort of quickly, uh, kind of be- became one of those, uh, when you look back on that period of film, you've got like, you know, Greg Nicotero and you've got, uh, obviously Tom Sabini and, um, Howard Berger, uh, Tony Gardner is also one of those guys, Mark Showstrom. 
they do top-notch physical effects and i don't want to be the old man just complaining because there are plenty of people who are doing amazing physical effects as well these days but so much of it is now computer generated that it's just like you see this stuff and it's just a treasure trove of the amount of things that that guy had to do with his makeups to to get across whether it's the the really cool dark man makeup uh so much so that (sighs) most of liam neeson's face is gone um to uh you know effects like his hand being uh burned off when they go to kill uh peyton i almost said peyton manning uh <laughs> they went for the <laughs> neck they just they went for the neck all right you know, anyway that's a specific yeah, so sports the mask, show the noses <laughs> the, all those things that they had yeah. to create um is really pretty impressive yeah no and like you talk about like how uh, Liam Neeson's face was covered, but did you, I never not got the vibe the entire time. Like there's like you, it was like a fan of the opera thing where you like his top left quadrant of his, his head was still skinned, but then you get like this weird shredded look of his jaw and then you see everything else with him. Like you could still see his face in that face and that's a hell of mm-hmm. a thing. And like, it just, you know, like it was, it was solid. Like I, I dug that. I dug that whenever they had him in bandages, they always did the thing where the, the, the bandage separating his eyes was always kind of askew, like cockeyed, like a little bit. It's like, it gave it a very distinct look. I just like, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm going to gush about this movie. Um, you know, are there, are there problems? Maybe. I mean, it's just, but what do you, what do you do with a property that no one knows about? And you do, you tell an origin story and have an arc for a character and you tell that entire story and then you get done with it and it hints it more. I, I think that Raimi, like he just, he checks all the boxes and does a good job. And he introduces a lot of conflict within Peyton as a character himself, where one, he is the distracted scientist and realizes that he wants to settle down with his girlfriend proposes to her. And then the night that she decides she's going to marry him, he gets horrifically mangled as you do, you know, and then you become a hobo Superman, sorry, hobo Batman. Um, as you do. Um, and then while he's like contemplating his revenge and how his comeuppance, it's like, he starts questioning, like, what have I become? And at the very end, when he, when he's be given the heroic choice of saving or letting go, he chooses to let go. And he's like, I've learned a lot. And then he realizes that he can never be the man that he once was to love the woman that he currently loves. Like, that's all like, forgive the wording. That's all dark. Like that's how do you jam it all together in like an hour and 40 minute movie? But this one does it. I gotta say, it's pretty dark, man. Get it. I, what? Did, did here, it, here, here, how about funny? this? How about this? Game over, yeah! <laughs> yeah, there you go. Never not funny to me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, please uh, 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 rebuttal. Not rebuttal. Uh, add on to that statement. It's like a, it, it, this movie is. It is. There's no downtime. It just it's burns. It's from an hour an hour and forty minutes. It just goes. Yeah, it does. It does move at a brisk pace. Um, I mean, if I'm coming with, up with a criticism, there are a few small points that I could make. I, I feel like the. 
so the carnival scene. <laughs> um, I, it's not that it feels out of place. It definitely shows his anguish. Um, but there's... I, I don't know how to put my finger on it. There's something there that I don't know that Raimi... I don't know. I, it, whether it's the, like, disintegr- not disintegrate, the breaking background, uh, the lighting that's on uh, uh, Liam Neeson at that time, or if it's the scene in general, the 180 that Darkman completely does is sort of out of nowhere. And I understand that it's simply because they've got to get to A to B. Um, but he goes from, you know, tortured soul to complete asshole in like 30 <laughs> seconds. I like that you use the phrase. I can't put my finger on it. Whenever two fingers got snapped suddenly. <laughs> <in that sequence. laughs> but they, the, okay. So I, that's valid. I will say that there was the sequence whenever, um, the one, the one person is in the hospital talking about like, Oh, if this has been like a few years ago, he would have like, we would have had to basically kill him because of the pain going on. And we, they cut the pain receptors. He doesn't feel pain and blah, 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 blah. But all of his other senses and his emotions are going to be like just overcharged and like just ambushed. And so then that also shows him like just being overloaded a couple times before that, but it is, it is, it all, it's almost like I, I was writing my notes as watching this movie and it's not the same thing, but the relationship between he and his girlfriend, um, v- reminds me very much of like Jeff Goldblum and Jay Davis in the fly where she doesn't quite understand. He's now a different person and he doesn't quite understand who he is either, you know? And that's, that's a much more tragic movie, but some of the escalations vary the same, especially like when he's arm wrestling and he breaks the dude's arm and you see the bone in that movie. And this one where he was like snaps the fingers of the carnival barker. Um, but he was already set on edge because of the freak show behind him. Like you can see that like he was trying to push that aside and was like, ah, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to win this elephant. And then, then, you know, the guy was an asshole to him. He's like, I'm going to break this guy's hand. Take the effing elephant. You know, like, it, it does escalate yeah. really fast. I agree with you. It's just, I, I will give the movie credit that it tried to lay the groundwork for the escalation. Yeah. I just, I felt like maybe had it been a little subtler, uh, which again, uh, it's Sam Raimi. So maybe that's, I don't know. Um, maybe it just didn't hit me the way it should, but uh, I, I felt like, Maybe had that done been done with a little bit more of a subtle touch. That's fair. Um, it would have worked better for me. And I, I do have to ask, how did Durant know that Darkman had the paperwork at the beginning of the movie when he breaks in? Uh, I to I think that where they were like where the lab was. I think it's a loft. And I okay. think that's where he and Francis McDormand, like where uh, Peyton and. Um, I think that's like, I think it was like a bedroom slash like lab because you see her leaving and he chases her out to the cabin and proposes to her. And it's, you see the, the name of the place like in the background. I think he's living there. I okay, think cause I, I was wondering, I'm like, well, a, I'm like, he's, he's a scientist. So like, 
why does Durant have any interest in him? <laughs> yeah, B, right. why does he have the paperwork for something that's completely not connected to him? Like, wouldn't she have taken that with him? Yeah. And then C, I was like, well, how did Durant come upon the location of where this paperwork would have been? That yeah. So I think I think that the 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 boss of uh, OCP, that's not the name of the, the company. I think he knew where she was staying. Um, I think he knew enough, and I think he saw he uh, he sicked. Durant and the boys on that lab. So I think, I think the information's there. I don't think it's conveyed very well. So that, I, I think you're right to raise the question. I think the answer's in the movie, but it doesn't give you, it doesn't give it to you clearly. So I'm, I'm going to make a deep cut reference here to Futurama. Oh no. Uh, yeah. Hopefully this doesn't uh, throw anybody off, but that, that guy who's technically the bigger villain than Durant whose name I'm blanking on right now. He, <laughs> please, he looks, please. I know where you're going with this, please. He looks like he should have been frozen in time and then uh, been, uh, you know, uh, unfrozen in the year 3000 so that they could solve his problem of bonitis. Bonitis. Oh, my only regret <laughs> is that I had bonitis. Like he was 80s, <laughs> 80s stockbroker guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he looked, he looked so close to, um, Shooter McGavin. What's the guy's other uh, actor's name? Oh, he looked <laughs> like he was so close to him. Um, what's that guy's name? I'll, I'll look it up right now. That's um, no, not not an artist. There's an artist called Shooter McGavin. That's not it. Um, but, uh, I can see his face right now, and I, I feel like it's McGavin. Christopher McDonald. Like this guy looks so yeah. close to Christopher McDonald. It was like it hurt. You know, like. Uh, what's Colin, his name Shooter McGavin did you just say that like three times yeah I say so shoot. what's his name McGavin uh, uh, Colin <laughs> oh Friels God. played Lewis Strack Jr. and it's like he looked a lot like Shooter McGavin let me look him up now Wait, let's see here oh did he he was born in Scotland okay that doesn't that, okay I guess that doesn't really matter the guy's still working He's he's not Shooter McGavin though, but like <laughs> he, looked, he looked a lot like him. Uh, but it's like it said, um, known for Dark Man, Dark City. So there you go. So you know he's like, what is the what's the title? I'm not interested. So no, he was such a smarmy's '80s guy. Like <laughs> it was yeah. great. Um, no, but this film, it's like like it's it, it's a lot of fun. Um, like in the whole, like the future tech that was involved with 3d printing things, it's like, you realize it's like, yeah, that's impossible, but it, it, it fits the world and it makes sense. And like the 3d projections of like the hologram of everything. Like, I liked that there was limitations to the technology. Like whenever, um, um, Liam Neeson put the photo in the computer and it couldn't recognize all his face, which was like a nice call back to his actual face like the whole thing when he found, picked up the photo, like, and he had like, I forget what was the trivia. They said that they actually broke down the, the hours, um, for that, like the, how long it took for the, the computer to, um, Oh, it was like almost 24 days. If I remember yeah, correctly, it was which, like 23 days, X yeah, amount of hours. Yeah. Which would make sense because they gave him time to go and like collect data from everybody else and do their things. Like, yeah, it's just this movie's a, it's it's just like it plays by its own rules, and for the most part, it sticks to them. And and then there's even the bit whenever he's swinging on the tow hook with the helicopter, whatever that means. He ends up in the office building. He's like, 
excuse me. <laughs> and he goes flying yeah. back out of the building. It's a lot of fun. I, yeah. I wanted to point out, too, I mean, there's obviously a lot of green screen that's happening during that sequence as well. But there's a lot of shots that's just a guy hanging from a wire. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, from a helicopter. Like, that's impressive stuff. Like, yeah. I think that's the stuff that we, like, take uh, for granted these days. And the only time that they're really doing it anymore is if it's got Tom Cruise attached to it for some reason. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's just... There, there's a lot here. And then we didn't even talk about, um, uh, the set where he uses like the abandoned chemical plant, which I believe, I want to believe is the same one from RoboCop and he sets up like his, like his new lab. And I know they kept talking about how they were taking cues from family opera. It's like, it has its own character too. Like I, I dig that. And there's the whole bit when he has his glasses on, he's trying to figure out something and his hand catches fire and he just doesn't realize it to begin with. It just, it just further shows uh, his own like limitations. And then he, he has his moments like the whole, like see the dancing freak. And he puts like the oil can on his, like the filter, fu- sorry, mm-hmm. funnel on his head. There's just a lot here that it just shows that this guy isn't just, yeah, he's hell bent on revenge, but he's also trying to figure out who he is now. Like, I, I just dig all that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I have to say, looking at, you know, the film 30 years on, um, and interestingly enough, after, because I, who I was when I first saw this movie, obviously I'm not that person anymore in a lot of ways, but I remember having sort of a, I don't want to say, uh, a, a, a prejudice, but I, I know that I specifically, when I first sat down to watch it, was I was like, well, this is just them trying to replicate a comic book. Like I remember having a very like shitty attitude towards it as a, as a, uh, as a fifteen year old. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, a fifteen year old with a shitty attitude. Um, <laughs> but they don't I know. Do remember. They don't know, man. They don't know. Yeah, I remember being like, Dark Man's not a real comic book, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, having obviously that stripped away and just seeing it for what it is, you know, um, it, it's it's surprising to me that it's actually as good as it is, considering where we are now with superhero films, where everything's got to be a property that already exists anyway. Yeah, and we don't see, you know, uh, studios taking the type of chances that. Somebody was like, well, we don't have a Batman, but we're going to put out our own thing that's, you know, headed by this crazy genius director. And for them to to put out something like this, you know, the year after Batman is, is really impressive. And to do it in the same year that Disney makes its bid by trying to do Dick, uh, Dick Tracy. I, I don't know. I, I have to say, like, it's I, I kind of like to would see something like this now, whether it be. Like you said, Sam Raimi and and Liam Neeson being like, you know what, we're going back and doing a new Darkman movie, or I don't know. Uh, I guess the other example uh, would be uh, um, the Disney. Uh, I can't even think of that movie now that we watched with Superman. Uh, <laughs> Condor Man. 
Condor man, yeah. Yeah, but like a dark Condor man where like he eats his enemies and then vomits up their bones. Like that's what we mean. That's a vulture, not a Condor. Whatever, same thing, same difference. Um, So just a point of reference here. So actually, so Dark Man made money. Uh, it had a budget of 16 and made 48, uh, 48 million at the box office. So it made money. So that's good. Um, just to, to give you a point of reference, it like box office mojo, which I'm sure we did this for 1990 previously. Uh, it was the 36 highest grossing movie of that year. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go through like and make you guess. I'll just say that movies that did worse than dark man, which will surprise you. Um, yeah. uh, let's see here. The Godfather part three. I know that was like lukewarm, but it did worse. Um, Exodus three, eh, you know, we've talked about that already. Uh, well, I, I, I talked about it on the show. Yeah. Back yeah. to the future part two didn't do so really. Good. Yeah. It only did 24, but I think people knew that uh, there was the, the third one coming. Um, so because okay. back to the future part three ended up doing like, it was number 10 for the year. So, right. But this was 1990 and I think back to the future part two came out before the end of 1990. I think it came out in like 89. So maybe that's why. Okay. Yeah, that might make that more makes sense. sense. Yeah. So movies that did better than Dark Man, uh, Misery, Rocky Five, okay. Gremlin, no. Gremlins Two, The New Batch, um, yes. Young Guns Two, RoboCop yeah. Two. <laughs> I like that. Um, we have back to back Steven Seagal movies that did better than this. Uh, uh Marked for Death and Hard to Kill. <laughs> Problem Child did better than this film. Um, you said, oh. you said Dick Tracy, that was number nine for the year. So let me, let me, uh, I'll run through, um, I'll run through the top 10 here. All right. Ghost, okay. ghost was number one. Pretty woman was number two. Home alone. Number three, uh, teenage mutant Ninja turtles. Whatever happened to that movie? Oh, we just covered a couple episodes ago. Number four, <laughs> the hunt for Red October, which I saw in the theater. I think I was too young for it, but I loved it. Uh, number six, total recall. Number seven, Die Hard 2, that no one talks about anymore. Um, Steve, do you know who the bad guy was in that movie? It's not uh, It's not Hans Gruber's brother, because that's three. Yeah. Um, Franco Nero. Is, uh, I just want to throw that out oh, there. Oh, you know, I that think I do. Beautiful, that. handsome man, Franco Nero. All right, number eight was Driving Miss Daisy. I'm sure that's aged well. Number nine was Dick Tracy. <laughs> Number 10 was Back to the Future Part 3. So, yeah. Uh, number 16 was Flatliners, 17 Dances with Wolves. Just want to throw that out there. So, Dark Man, you know, it did okay. You know, and it was, it was a pretty packed year. So, um, I think this is an important movie if people like the current, like, output from, like, Marvel. Uh, and even some of the DC stuff. Like, I think this is one that was ahead of its time in a lot of ways. I understand that came out the year after Batman and Batman blazed a lot of trails. I think that this film owes a lot to Batman in the sense of like, people can be like, Oh, let's just approach this and see what happens. And it can be fun and have some serious moments. But I think, I think dark man gave you a blueprint that a lot of origin films follow pretty well. Yeah, I mean, as you were going through the films that came out in 1990 that did better, I think uh, one of the reactions I had was Gremlins 2, where I was like, eh, which is a movie that I've probably in the last few years warmed up to more so than when I was younger, um, because I didn't quite get what Joe Joe Dante was doing with it. But um, 
you know, you listed some really heavy hitters that came out that year. Yeah. And it's when you mentioned uh, Dancing with Wolves did worse. I was like, wow, I remember that movie being huge. Well, Dancing so, with Wolves did better. It was in the top 20. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Um, but if you want to know here, okay. I'll give you I'll give you a couple more um, real quick that did worse than Dark Man. You know, you know Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> <laughs> Look who's talking! I thought that movie made bank because that movie was so all over not. the place. Two more sequels. Yeah, um, Ernest goes to jail. Come on, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd already been to camp. Next step is jail. Yeah, Tremors did worse. Come on, Tales from the Dark Side. The movie. Yeah, yeah. The, the, oh the man, show. I love that movie. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. So Dark Man did it. It tripled what it was intended to make. That's a good sign, right? Like that's a good thing. And it gave Sam Raimi mm-hmm. a platform and, and the, um, the resume to go to Sony and make two really good Spider-Man films. Like one's great. Two is amazing. No pun intended. And three is not as bad as people are. Remember, it's not great, but it's not as bad. Um, yeah. So, but I think Sam Raimi, I think Sam Raimi was a Marvel director before there was Marvel directors. I'll just put that out there. That's fair. Yeah. So if people have not seen dark man, please go watch. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, well, I mean, it's a tragic movie and it's sad at times. And when you even talk about Liam Neeson, there's like his first action role. Liam Neeson's great in this, like having to act through all the makeup. Like it was just, yeah, solid movie. Like I am, I, I remember revisiting this a couple years ago because I remember having fond memories of dark man, I ended up like watching it a couple years ago and liking it a great deal. And then I've kind of always had stuck in my head that I'm like, people need to talk about dark man. This, this movie's pretty solid. And again, how great would that be? How great would that be if we got like a revisited film with this? But we didn't even mention that at the very, very end dark man took the visage of Bruce Campbell at the very, very end. And, um, that's, I need, I need to know that Bruce Campbell's out there somewhere fighting crime. I'm good with that. Uh, I, I would, I would be okay with a new Dark Man uh, with uh, either Liam Neeson or Bruce Campbell, for that matter, um, or, or Jeff Fahey. Well, I don't I, know. <laughs> <laughs> the other, the other thing I was going to say was, is that uh, you know my memories of this film were not as rosy as your as rosy as yours were, and while there are things that I can nitpick, I can say that I quite enjoyed it much more than I was anticipating before I sat down and watched it again. That's so, fair. Yeah. I just, I would highly recommend it. Yeah. All right. So that's our thoughts on dark man. Look at that. We got out before the 99 minutes before it fell apart, which that's a, that's a reference to the movie. Um, so yeah, uh, before we get onto the game here where I find out what Sam Raimi movie I am, and I'm hoping for crime wave fingers crossed. That's not true. Um, you guys can find us on Facebook. It's Evasion the Podcast. Um, we post things there sometimes. You know, it's been it's been weird recently. Uh, we also have a Facebook. Sorry, we have Facebook. We had mentioned that. We have a blog. It's invasionthepodcast.com. Um, just go on there, blow the dust off. There's plenty of things I've written about in the past. Um, I've been feeling the itch to write again, uh, to do something. It's just, you know, getting a house has been tough. <laughs> so maybe I'll write something soon. I, you know, just give me time, please. Something may show up there. I don't know, but there's like a lot of the year of the knockoff stuff. There is some uh, year of canon things on there. Uh, there is a year of the Western. 
there's plenty. And then Steve wrote some great stuff about his collections of Star Wars <laughs> stuff and his thoughts on Friday the 13th. So please check that out. Uh, you guys can find us wherever you get your podcasts, wherever it is, whether it be Apple Music, Google Music, Music Music. That's not that's a Canadian thing. Um, Stitcher, Podbean, um, your local five and dime, whether it be your Hills, your Kmart's, your JC Pennies, wherever you find your podcast, please rate and review us. It'd be greatly appreciated. And Steve, how can people find you? You can find me on the Saturday night slasher.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday night slasher. Um, currently right now I've got our Etsy store set to vacation. I actually, I'm trying to consider, um, I'm, I'm considering possibly closing the Etsy store and finding a new venue to distribute the comic uh, across the internet. So if any of you have uh, suggestions or places that you like to get uh, content from, uh, in physical form at least, uh, let me know if you're like, you should set up an eBay store or you should look into Poshmark. I don't think it'll be on Poshmark. Or but like a, a grinder account, maybe, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if there's some place you think it should be, let me know. All right. All right. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, before we get into uh, the, the game, I don't have nothing to transition into. Let's just find out what Sam Raimi movie I am. Woo. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Alrighty, so for tonight's game, I thought, what would be better than to uh, find out what Sam Raimi, Paul, what Sam Raimi movie Paul is? So Spider-Man I put Three. Little, oh no! Sorry. <laughs> I put together a little quiz here for us to figure out which one Paul is. Okay, and uh, it's interesting because I just realized that I did not devise a way to keep track. So I'm gonna. <laughs> Perfect. I promised everybody that the wheels would fall off and this train's going to derail at the end. So there we go. Having a piece of paper Let's to record your answers. And these are really simple questions. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to blow through it and figure out which Sam Raimi movie you are very quickly. All right. I like it. All right. Short and quick. That, that takes me back to prom night. Let's just go. All right. Go. <laughs> Uh, so the, uh, the first one is, is you just got to pick a number. So first number is 57. Second number is 73. Third number is 90. Fourth number is 92. I was hoping for an 88. All right. So, um, what are my numbers again? 57, 73, 90 and 92. 57 because, you know, Heinz, sorry, A1 sauce. All right. Uh, that makes sense. I don't know that it particularly pertains to uh, Sam Raimi films, but no, it makes it's, sense. A, it's a good sauce number. But what, what, where is there is a Heinz? There was a Heinz production factory in Ohio, right? Like like Central Ohio? There's a, uh, I believe there's a Heinz plant in Fremont, Ohio. Yeah, I remember like, like driving through there and not understanding what was going on. And I'm like, what smells like ketchup? Like, what smells like steak the sauce? The entire town. Oh, yeah, it was mouthwatering, <laughs> but maddening. Yes. <laughs> All righty. So this next one here, you get to pick a, a profession. Uh, the first one is, is a clerk. Second one is photographer. 
Third one is Sheriff. Last one is Banker. All right. Uh, what are my four again? Clerk, photographer, sheriff, banker. Sheriff. All righty. <laughs> the next one here is to pick an object. Uh, so first one is a button. Second one is a shotgun. Third one is a can of Dr. Pepper. And the fourth one is a leather jacket. Which of those four items would you pick? A shotgun. If I'm a sheriff in the year 57. Yeah. All this track so far. Okay. All righty. The next one here, I'm sure will be very easy to pick out where these come from, but you're going to pick a line from a movie and you're going to tell me which one you prefer. Okay. Uh, so the first one is, is some people deserve to die. Second one is, is give me some sugar, baby. Mm. Third one is bone saw is ready. <laughs> and then the last one is I beat you, you old bitch. Oh, give me some sugar, baby. All right. Got to go with army of darkness. Though bone saw is ready. <laughs> He's always ready. He's always ready. All righty. So this next one here, uh, you get to pick a car. So, the first one is the 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88. The second one is the 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88. <laughs> the third one <laughs> is the 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88. And then the fourth one is the 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88. I think I'll go with the Oldsmobile uh, Delta 88. All righty. And for those of you who do not get that joke, uh, <laughs> did you did you up. see it? Did you notice it in Darkman, like towards the end, like in the oh yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> and also, like brief brief aside, I'm sorry. The, the the I didn't I didn't remember the last like the big helicopter thing, like that that action sequence going on, and like the amount of collateral damage that was like it was awesome to watch all that. Yeah, it's impressive. That's why I made the, the Tom Cruise, uh, you know, comment. I feel like that that kind of crazy of stunt, craziness of stunts is is kind of only reserved for his films He's these like, days. I'll rip three quarters of my face off. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> did you see he wants to shoot a movie in space? Did you see that? I did. I think him and Colin Trevorrow are getting together to do it. That makes sense. About the that Colin tracks. Thing. But yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so the next one here, uh, you're going to get to pick an actor. All righty. So of these actors, uh, there's Russell Crowe. There's Joe Manganiello. Joe Manganiello. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Uh, there's Justin Long. And then there's Ian Abercrombie. And if you need clarification on Ian Abercrombie, I can give it to you. Okay, please. For for everybody okay. else, not me. Maybe. Just if you're know. trying to recognize him, I'm not going to give you which particular Sam Raimi movie he's in, but I will say that uh, the most famous of roles of his is probably Mr. Pitt on Seinfeld. Okay. Oh, okay. So I'll do Joe, um, you know. Um, Manginanello? Sure. Um, Mandingo. Joe Mandingo. That's fine. Alrighty, so the next one here, uh, with much easier last names, we're going to pick an actress. So, first one is 
Elizabeth Banks. Second one is Bridget Fonda. Third one is Sharon Stone. The last one is Alison Lohman. Oh, Bridget Fonda, because she is briefly an army of darkness. Yes. Okay. Alrighty, so you're going to pick a role for your brother to play. Okay. So is it, uh, the first one is a doctor. Second one is assistant. Third one is cowardly warrior. Fourth one is, ah, screw it, I'll just use Bruce Campbell. Cowardly warrior. Okay. Alrighty, we've only got three more questions left. Next one here, pick a location, a bar, a subway station, a wrestling ring, or a castle. A castle. Oh, I, 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 don't, I know I'm like subverting this, but I know what I want. Just bring it to me. <laughs> bring okay. me. It's fine. All righty. Uh, the next one here is uh, you're going to pick a candy bar. Uh, so is it Payday? Kit Kat, Snickers, or Zagnut? <laughs> Zagnut. Okay. I think it's a Beetlejuice question, but continue, please. <laughs> All righty. And then lastly, you're just going to pick a movie that Sam, came- Sam Raimi has cameoed in. All righty. First one is Maniac Cop. Second one is John Carpenter's Body Bags. Third one is Miller's Crossing, and the fourth one is Spies Like Us. Oh, Miller's Crossing. Good choice. I've not seen it, but I know that. So I know that the Coen Brothers made that as a trailer to to get the movie made, and I know the Coen Brothers also helped edit The Evil Dead, and they also did uncredited script work on Darkman. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like one of them is married to Francis McDormand. One of them is, yes. It, and they're still yeah. friends, though, even though Sam Raimi had difficulties like with her directing her on set. Yes. I'm sure 30 years worth of time, too. And, you know, <laughs> well, probably eases yeah. those memories, too. You know so what I mean? Why hasn't there, I mean, maybe there has been, but why hasn't there been a film where Francis McDormand is the, the mother of Tony Collette and they just argue? Like, I feel like. <laughs> I feel like that's a movie that needs to happen because they look almost identical. And they're both great actresses. Yeah, so no, absolutely. That. Wouldn't that be great? It's just like them just <laughs> bitching at each other for two hours. I would watch that movie. So do you want me to go through the questions again and just kind of cover what they were? Or do you want me to just give you your answer? Yeah, no, 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 no. Let's revisit. Let's revisit. Let's do a mystery date about what I did not pick and, and why. All right. So uh, the first question, if you remember, was to pick a number. Yes. And these numbers were picked uh, based on the Rotten Tomato scores of their films. Okay. The films. And uh, I guess there's a little deception here going on in the sense that. Uh, How dare you? In that I only used four <laughs> Raimi films to go off of. Uh, so it's only four movies that are throughout this entire quiz. Okay. Alrighty. So you did not choose number 92, which oddly enough of the four films was Raimi's highest ranked film, which I thought would be a Spider-Man movie. It is not. Drag Me to Hell has a 92 on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a solid flick. I don't know if you've seen it. I love Drag Me to Hell, but I was surprised by it. We'll just put it that way. 
Uh, you did not pick a 90, which is the first Spider-Man. You did not pick 73, which is Army of Darkness, which, come on, 73? That's a little low. Come on. Yeah. And then the next one, I admittedly have not seen. It's easily been 20 years, and maybe we should revisit this for the year of the Western 2 or whatever. But the uh, Quick of the and the Dead. Oh, I would have watched that in a heartbeat. Oh, God, yes. Let's do that. Yes. Yeah, you'd picked uh, Quick and the Dead, but... Uh, um, it's got a 57 Rotten Tomato score. Yeah, I don't. I, I remember that movie being pretty good. Let, let's. In, so in June, after we get to the year animation, can we watch the Quick and the Dead and talk about it? I would do that. Just please. I've been dying sure, to talk yeah. to you about a western. So let's just okay. do that. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll we'll throw that in the mix. Um, next one was to pick a profession. Uh, you chose uh, uh, sheriff. Uh, that was also a quick in the dead question or answer, <laughs> I should say. Um, banker obviously is dragged me to hell. Photographer is obviously your boy, Peter Parker. And then clerk would be, you know, Ash Williams, who works at S Mart banker with sudden and violent nosebleed. You didn't tell yes. me that. <laughs> Did I get me in my mouth? Oh, <laughs> Oh, I, we should revisit Dragon Me to Hell maybe like in Halloween times. I don't know. Like there's, uh, <laughs> okay. That movie just has a lot going on. Sam Raimi. Yeah, let's just, <laughs> sure. Let's just do a year of Sam Raimi. Yeah. Uh, alrighty. So the next one was uh, to pick an object. Uh, the answers that you did not pick uh, one was leather jacket, which is what Sharon Stone wears in Quick and the Dead. Uh, you did not pick the can of Dr. Pepper, which is what Spidey uses to test out his uh, web swimming swing oh, yeah. abilities in the first Spider-Man. And a button, which is what is in the envelope that uh, she thinks is a coin. Or no, oh, I'm sorry, it's a right. coin that she thinks and dragging, very, uh, dragging to hell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you picked a shotgun, which as we all know, if it's not a chainsaw, it's his boomstick. It's his boomstick, yes. So you got Army of Darkness on that one. How dare I? Continue, <laughs> Pick a line. I mean, you picked. Give me some sugar. Uh, give me some sugar. Yeah. I don't think I have to explain the other ones. <laughs> well, okay, well, no, please. The, the the other one, I think. So one of them was Drag Me to Hell, right? About like, I got you, you old bitch or whatever it was. Yeah, I beat you, you old bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Bonesaw's ready is from a simple plan. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um <laughs> Yes. <laughs> uh, that's Spider-Man. And then uh, Some People Deserve to Die is from Quick and the Dead. Uh, the next one, <laughs> again, uh, you chose the 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88. Uh, that was simply just because they appear in all of his, fans, yes. his films, even Quick and the Dead, which apparently is just a stagecoach that is dressed. Or <laughs> yeah. Delta 88 dresses a stagecoach. <laughs> Yeah, and if I remember right, um, what was it? Uh, Gene Hackman's character wanted to like, like he was like Gene Hackman was talking to Sam Raimi about like I need to know what's going on with this guy and like, and so like he was like I need to like do something and rough up somebody. So Sam Raimi's like I got this one guy that was Bruce Campbell. He's like so he brought Bruce Campbell in to go into wardrobe so so Gene Hackman could beat the shit out of him and they let the cameras roll for a minute just to make him feel better and they went on with the rest of the movie with a role that was never ever ever going to be in the movie. But Sam Raimi's like let's just get Bruce Campbell in here. 
That's amazing. <laughs> yes. I, I need to revisit that. I mean, we will slate it for June. Please, please. Yeah. Well, and also like Army of Darkness, whenever um, uh, uh, Bruce Campbell was doing the bit with like the the very um, hairy house and skeletons and like like fighting everything, um, like he wasn't doing everything right. So Randy made it a point to, to like slow everything down and like do multiple shots of everything because he's like, we got to do it right. And he knew that like, <laughs> Bruce would do it regardless of what was going on. So if you read uh, Bruce Campbell's uh, If Chins Could Kill, his autobiography, he was just like agonized because Raimi just put him through everything because like, he knew he could. I mean, that's it's, it's the, a lot the of fun. bonus and downside of working with your friends. They yes. know what you can take. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He knew. He knew. He just like he just beat the shit out of Bruce Campbell like multiple times. Yeah, I know that that uh, you know one of the reasons that uh, you know he's kind of said never again to Ash is just simply because he's like I don't know that I can really take the abuse anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so the next category um, again, uh, we said pick an actor. Uh, you did not choose Ian Abercrombie, who is the I don't know if his title's wizard. Uh, he's the guy in Army of Darkness who is giving uh, Ash the directions on how to oh, correct okay. the problem. Oh God damn it! All right, I picked I picked I picked poorly there. All right, uh, Justin Long plays the boyfriend in Drag Me to Hell. That's uh, right. Which yeah. I think is kind of a role that he. Uh, in the mid 2000s sort of just fell into. <laughs> like uh, we need a boyfriend. Get Justin Long. Yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe was in Quick and the Dead, uh, one of his early performances, right. I think, or one of his first movies. Yeah, he doesn't punch anybody, probably. I don't yeah. Know. And then uh, Joe Manganiello is uh, everyone's favorite Flash Thompson from the first Spider-Man. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Who gets his ass kicked in the hallway? Which I'm always like surprised when people are like, "Wow, Parker, you're a freak." I'm like. Flash Thompson was being a complete douche to him. Like, you know, yeah. why are you upset that he kicked his ass? He deserved it. And I stand by that statement 18 years later. Oh, all right. Um, booze is kicking in. Yeah, we're uh, almost, number, yeah that's, we're good. We're good. So number seven, uh, you had to pick an actress. Uh, you were given Allison Lohman, who uh, obviously is the star of Drag Me to Hell. Hell. Yes. You did not choose her. Sharon Stone, you did not pick, as she is the star of Quick and the Dead. Dead. Yes. Uh, Elizabeth Banks, I was hoping to just give you a little swerve on that, but she plays Betty Brant in all three Spider Man films. That's true. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, Bridget Fonda, you correctly uh, surmised. Because she is in the end of Army of Darkness at Asmar. For like a second, yes, yes. Yeah. Which I believe, if I remember correctly, she did just because she was a fan of, of uh, Sam Raimi. But it's not even, it's like, that's the, the theatrical cut, but like not the Bruce Campbell versus the Army of Darkness cut. Yeah. Right. Uh, so the next one here was to pick a role for your brother to play. Obviously, this was a... Uh, a Ted Raimi. Know, a Ted Raimi uh, question. Um, so, uh, Doctor, I believe, was his role in um, Quick and the Dead, which you did not pick. 
uh, assistant. He was J. Jonah Jameson's assistant in Spider-Man. He did not right. pick. Yeah. Uh, screw it. I'll just use Bruce Campbell. Um, shit, which movie was that? There's one movie that he uses Bruce Campbell, but not his brother. And I'm now wondering if I'm confusing one of the movies. But yeah, whatever. Long story short, you picked Cowardly Warrior, which is his role of many that he plays in Army of Darkness. So many shimps. Yes. <laughs> uh, pick a location uh, of the choices you did not pick from. Uh, wrestling ring. Obviously, that's where Bonesaw would be ready for <laughs> He you. was ready, yes. <laughs> uh, subway station. That's where the end of Drag Me to Hell takes place. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and a bar. I didn't want to call it a saloon just because. That's fair. It, they're, they're the same thing. And I felt like that would give it away. Uh, you did not choose that, but you chose a castle, which, again, Army of Darkness takes place in, uh, or at least its finale does. Alrighty, so the next one, I kind of just got crazy with what I associated with these with. So pick a, a candy bar. <laughs> so <laughs> you did not pick a Kit Kat. And I assigned that to Spider-Man because when the first Spider-Man came out, and this is so, so such a sad story. <laughs> um, Kit Kat had a promotion. I remember that if you like sent in like, I don't know, 10 labels, you got a free Spider-Man poster. And I remember just buying Kit Kats because like, oh, I'm going to get me a free Spider-Man poster. And then I never we're, did we're, it. Were two of the Kit Kats named both Left Tower and then the other two were named Right Tower from the teaser of Spider-Man yes. breaking up the, the robbery at the World Trade Center. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just remember I was like, well, I'm going to buy junk food. This is good enough for a reason. Give me a break. Give me a break. Give me a, give me a piece of off that World Trade Center. That is not a good joke. Oh, um, no. I just remember... That summer, I was living by myself in in Bowling Green, Ohio. I just graduated college, and like, I was getting ready to leave, and but I was there by myself. All my friends had moved on, and I just remember like I would go to work, and I would come home, and I would go to work, and I would come home. That's pretty much all I did. And like, the one thing I would do is is like I'm gonna go to the convenience store before work because I work third shift, and I would just buy garbage to eat. Uh, my third shift to uh, shift. And, oh, I'm glad uh, not much has changed. I just want to, like, <laughs> yeah, you, you've stayed true, true to yourself. <laughs> um, and then uh, the other, the other, uh, I mean, they're really random. The, why I uh, put them uh, as they are. I, I put Zagnut as army of darkness just because of the Beetlejuice connection, which you made. Um, there's no real connection, but they're both very odd movies. Uh, well, there's also a lot too. of miniatures and nice effing model. That's one we throw out there. So, yeah, I, I put Payday as Quick and the Dead just because I'm like it's nuts and terrible, which is probably as good as you're going to get in the old west. Well, no, they're um, all trying to waiting for a payday. I think that's like, now that I know what you're aiming for. No pun yeah. intended. That makes sense. <laughs> and then the uh, the Snickers I assigned to uh, Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> I don't know why it just I did because you know the uh, nougat leans towards the eating disorder. I have no idea what was yeah. 
<laughs> no, I, I think talking about Drag Me to Hell and like the implications of that film, we need to get into that later. That movie is great and funny and outrageous and pure Raimi. And like, yeah, it'd be good to talk about it. The shit Allison Loman goes through in that movie. Jesus. Like, oh my yes. God. Yeah. I hope she got hazard pay on that well, movie. I mean, you, like, not to get too much into it, but like, there's people like, was it Patton Oswalt? And so the people are like, this is a whole allegory towards like eating disorders. Like, there's a whole thing you can get into that where it's like, oh, this is messed up. Like, it is, it's an interesting movie and, 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 and a fun watch. Yeah, I, I don't know about the Pat Oswalt thing, but it makes sense. Uh, every time I read something of uh, an opinion that Pat Oswalt has, I'm like, man, I wish I'd have come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. All right. So, all right. Are we are we done with uh, the questions? And so where did I land, uh, Army of Darkness? Where did I land? You landed on Army of Darkness. Yes. Primitive so. screwheads. This is... <laughs> My boomstick. Shop smart. Shop smart. <laughs> uh, if it makes you feel any better, it turns out you're not leading Jack or shit, and Jack left out already. <laughs> yes. So I am happy that I am Army of Darkness. So, all right. That's going to do it for us this week. Uh, this is where we're usually landing on our episodes. So. Eight hours. Eight hours. Eight hours. Whatever. It's good enough. So next week, Steve decided to bull rush me and say, hey, we should talk about Star Wars. I'm like, "Ah, we just talked about it. And he's going to be like, no. So we're at like the 70th anniversary of Empire Strikes Back or something. (laughs) It's the 40th. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh no. I guess we got to talk about Star Wars and also my favorite Star Wars film. So... Um, yeah, we're going to talk about Empire Strikes Back, uh, and we'll dig into it. And, uh, do you have the, like the, the despecialized edition or no? I do. I do. I, I don't know if I can get it to you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have the despecialized editions of all the original trilogy. Well, if not, I can certainly watch it on Disney plus. I'll be fine. And I will say that of the films, that's the one that has the least amount of changes. Obviously, smart on their part, and they're all cosmetic. There's nothing really that changes story, like the Han and Greedo, which I think (laughs) changes the big story point in that film. So even if you have to watch the the special edition version, I don't think there, there will be that big of a difference. No, we'll dig into um, why Empire's like the greatest of all of them. That's, that's my throwing that out there. Uh, and how Lucas had the, the least amount of input on them. So we'll get there when we get there next week, we're celebrating the, 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 the 120th anniversary of empire strikes back. Uh, until, until then everybody have a good week, have a safe week, stay home, wash your goddamn hands and don't be me. I'm wandering out aimlessly. And if you could order liquor, and, and booze and other things that make you drunk in your head, order it, have them deliver it, and it's amazing. That's my advice to you. I'm putting drizzle on my phone right after this. <laughs>